3: Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice.
2: What happens next will last forever.
1: The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
3: Time now for the character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is. It's Friday, Friday.
4: Oh, you're fired up by that, huh? You're fired up by that. Well, how about this? Oh no. There you go. That's the Rebecca Black remix of Friday from last year, Michelle. Did it's character installment on 101 ESPN. It's was anyone asking for the Rebecca Black Friday remix? No, she was excited about it. thought, you know what, it's been 10 years, I'll do something. Okay. Oh my god! 6-9-7-8-0. We might have to do a poll.
5: That this one, this one, better? Oh yeah! Can we never play the second one again?
4: No, now that, now that you don't like it, Is you've opened it up, you've open that door. Ooh, you don't open that door. I can't
5: hear you talking because it's so loud.
4: Yeah, she's loud. She's loud. What did you say? I said you don't want to open that door.
5: That sounded like a torture mechanism. Kind the of. second one.
4: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, kind of. So was. she
5: thought, you know what? The first song, controversial but popular. Let's make it worse.
4: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Get By the, the way, people talking. Get the streets were, talking. There were rumors over the years about her making so much money from the YouTube Friday because she got so many views, and so naturally, I've got to find this out this morning. She made forty thousand dollars. But now, she was a teenager ten yeah, years ago. Still, four, four, 40 grand. But it wasn't. A, she didn't become a millionaire because of Friday, Friday. Wow. Oh, Oh, the it's music bit, uh, industry is so corrupt. It is, really. <laughs> if you are driving to work, this is something that you'll never remember all day. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Michelle, good luck to your line item today.
5: Thank you, ILL. I and I. We're both wearing our orange today, Randy. Yeah. I get rid of everything and this is a t-shirt that I have from 2005 from sitting in the student section at Illinois my orange crush t-shirt I have kept it all these years I only wear it at tournament time it hasn't been super lucky for me (laughs) but it's a routine and we don't break that routine so I don't know maybe I shouldn't have worn it well because it's been present for some pretty big
4: heartbreak Speaking of heartbreak, if you've gone to the 101 ESPN Bracket Challenge page, or maybe just follow 101 (laughs) ESPN on the Twitter machine, they put all of our brackets up, pictures of all of our brackets, (laughs) screenshots, as they say. And I finished my bracket a couple days ago, and yesterday finalized it, Michelle, right here on the air. That's right. With the second seeded Kentucky Wildcats winning the whole ball of wax, the whole enchilada, uh, winning the championship, winning the the natty, winning the ship.
5: Yeah, a Coach K special.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's That was Kentucky that I picked. Kentucky, Michelle. I picked the Kentucky Wildcats. You did, Randy. I, I know picked that. the Arizona Wildcats. Right,
5: right, right. And they played yesterday, right? I was at the Blues game last night, Randy, Ooh. having a great time at Enterprise Center. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, the- Kentucky
4: at least took it to overtime against... The uh, St. Peter's Peacocks, a school of 2,300 in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh,
5: shout out to the Peacocks!
4: Yeah, congratulations to them. They took they took Kentucky in overtime, and then they beat Kentucky in overtime.
5: Unreal, <laughs> Randy. You guaranteeing something is the kiss, it's of, the death. kiss of death. It is yeah, the kiss of Yeah. I don't of know death. why I didn't
6: pick the Rams in the Super Bowl. You should. Have,
5: you should have totally picked them.
6: And yeah. they lost to a and they lost to a guard who looks like he's from the fictional town of Longwood we created the other day. Yeah. Right. So there was a lot of action yesterday, a lot more action
4: today, and you'll be able to hang out with your friends from the Midday Show here on 101 ESPN. They're going to be over at Max in Alton from 11 to 2, and then the Fast Lane with Anthony, BT, and Jamie from 2 to 6 at Max in downtown Alton, broadcasting both uh, shows today. Delicious food, the coldest beer, 101 ESPN giveaways, plenty of screens to watch the first round, Madness and more. BK and Ferrario and the Fast Lane, both live today at Max. Downtown Alton.
5: It's going to be so fun. I know the guys were there yesterday having a great time. It's the best time of the year, Randy. It's the best time in the sports mm-hmm. calendar. I love this weekend. I mean, it's already been madness. Yeah. It's called March Madness for a reason. Right. I was telling you guys when I came in this morning, like I mentioned, I was at the Blues game last night. Great time at Enterprise Center. The outcome, not so great. At times, the performance, not so great, but a, a great time. Yeah. And I, was, I had a wonderful time, but it was a, a terrible night to have tickets to the Blues game because they're, <laughs> March, this opening weekend of March Madness is always the best. And I feel like half the time I was checking my phone because of all of the upsets and all the action going on in the tournament.
4: It was wild. It was great. And you can obviously find all the scores at ESPN.com. Hope your bracket is doing okay. And Michelle mentioned she was at the Blues game And it was a fun game It was an entertaining game Especially overtime Blues falling behind 2-0 in the first period But in the second period The Blues are able to get on the board Actually it's a 2-0 Penguins After their second goal Midway through the second period But then before the second period was out The Blues got close
3: The Blues have cleared out to David Perron One-on-one in on Matheson Drops the shoulder, drives the net Shoots and scores! second period. is 2-1. Perron's 18th goal of the year on a great drive to the net.
4: Carriker and Smallman bump. Of course.
5: I took my dad to the game, Randy. A belated birthday gift for him. And we were walking back from the concourse and the, uh, to start the second period. And I said, you know what? David Perron's going to score a goal. Mm. And he goes, really? I go, it's Carriker and Smallman bump. Guaranteed it. And then there he goes.
4: I hope to start the third period you were back in your seats early because Ivan Barbashev was certainly active early in the third.
3: Saad. On the wraparound, they score! Barbyshev ties the game! 149 into the third period. Ivan with his 19th of the year. And we're tied 2 2.
4: Both teams had some spectacular opportunities before we went to overtime in the overtime period. The Blues had a great opportunity, Tori Krug hitting a post, but neither team scored in OT, so we went to the shootout after the first three shootout performers failed to score. Finally, Pittsburgh won it.
3: Rust weaves his way in, comes right down the middle, shoots and scores, and the Penguins beat the Blues. The Blues have lost three of their last six games in overtime or a shootout.
4: And I uh, had actually texted both Michelle and Matthew, and I said, We're going into overtime, I said, if you got the FanDuel Sportsbook fired up, put bet the house on Pittsburgh, because Pittsburgh was going to beat the Blues in overtime or shootout, and they did. Because Fortunately for me, you guys didn't bet, and Torrey Krug didn't score.
5: Because that's what you bet? Yeah (laughs) (laughs) But I mean the Blues have had issues With overtime this season So that would be a pretty safe bet If you were going to go to FanDuel Sportsbook Download the Sportsbook app Promo code SMALLS That would be a pretty safe bet for you
4: Now if you are the Blues You have enough talent That you should be able to perform well And win in overtime Why the Blues aren't good in 3-on-3 I don't know They have enough skill And not having Robert Thomas makes a difference But the Blues I think are 1-7 and now in uh, their last eight overtime games or uh, as curb said i guess three out of their last three and six in their last nine it's not good either way for the blues in overtime lately
5: they just don't match up well with teams like like pittsburgh especially in that situation when they have speed like that it's really difficult for the blues to play their game it's all about puck possession in in that scenario i thought the blues had some great chances in overtime and i like especially during the game that they seem to pick up the intensity in the second and and a a lot of times in the third period, but they had no business, Randy, even getting a point in that game. No. They they were completely outshot. Pittsburgh controlled the game for for the majority of the game, so the fact that the Blues were even able to pull out a point from that one, I'll take it.
4: 45-25 was the shots on goal. Blues back in action next tomorrow against the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's a 3 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. Meanwhile, the Cardinals will play their first game today down in Jupiter, and Adam Wainwright will be on On the mound for the Redbirds Jack Flaherty, well, we still haven't heard About his second opinion Here's the Cardinal Skipper
6: Unfortunately, you guys are going to love this I don't have an update on Jack Um, Here's the delay in all of it We're waiting on a second opinion And until we get that second opinion I think it would be irresponsible To just speak to it
4: Now, here's one thing that I've learned, Michelle Is if the doctor says Oh, you're all good, no problem The pitcher generally says Okay, let's go pitch You get a second opinion generally when you aren't happy with the first opinion. And generally, players aren't happy when the first opinion is, this does not look great.
5: So I agree with you. That was the first thought that I had was, he must have not liked the results from opinion number one. That's why we're seeking out opinion number two. But what if opinion number one said, everything looks great, you're healthy and ready to go, but he's feeling some sort of pain. And so he's trying, Randy, I'm trying to spin this in a really positive way. Yeah, that's way. just
4: not Jack Flaherty.
5: It is not. He's Mamba mentality. This is a guy that wants to compete at all costs. Um, but I'm trying to not think the sky is falling here. Because that's the first thing I thought of was, oh, he's going to be out for the season. Well, I mean, I, I wanted to go full doomsday when I heard second opinion. So I'm trying to spin it, you know.
4: We, we, it'd be nice. Mike Claiborne told us on two, or Wednesday, he said, Jack told me he was fine.
5: Okay, so that theory that I just tried to weave there does not play, is what you're telling me?
4: Yeah, it's kind of a bummer.
5: So maybe he's. So, okay, we're putting the pieces together. He's feeling fine. He's seeking a set, or he's saying he's feeling fine. He's seeking a second opinion. The sky is falling.
4: Michelle, this is uh, uh, what they call in the baseball business, they say in in the dugout, dugout terminology, this is what they call an unmitigated disaster.
5: So are you thinking potentially we might not see him all season? Are you thinking surgery?
4: If it's a shoulder?
5: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah.
4: And I know the Cardinals. They're going to spin it in a positive manner. They say, oh, we'll just put him on the shelf for four weeks and then reevaluate when we all know. And then it'll be a month less that uh, he'll have had to rehab. If you're going to get surgery, just get it done.
5: I couldn't agree more. Just get it out of the way. Uh but I don't think that that's going to happen here. They'll probably downplay it. It'll be, as you said, we'll hear something about rest. So we're going to shut them down for a little bit, reevaluate four to six weeks. And then that's probably when yeah. you'll hear about the surgery. All
3: right. Move on. Nothing to see here. Please first.
5: That the, the sky is falling and, and we need to disperse. There's nothing to see here because we are, as as Ali Marmont said, it's irrational to bring it up and speculate until we've heard about the second opinion. So I just want to stay in this positivity cocoon like until this until the sky does
4: fall. I remember being there in in that positivity cocoon with Chris Carpenter in 2007 when he left the game against the Mets on opening day with an elbow injury and ultimately wound up having to have Tommy John surgery. But they did say, hey, we're going to give him a month. We're going to take a look at it. We want this thing to calm down and he'll be back. And then he was back in 2008. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I like the positivity cocoon to an extent until it takes a month for them to say, oh, you know what? He's not going to be back. Jordan Hicks, 2019. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It's, yeah. uh, so I am I'm just not a fan of uh, of patience with these sorts of things. Just get her done.
5: We know the translator. We know the Cardinals injury translator.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. So, Forget it. It's not going to be great. He's joining my list. Jack Flaherty's joining my list. By the no, way.
5: Don't. Well, actually put him on the list because then that means yeah. he's probably going to get That's a clean true. bill of health.
4: Yeah. I, I apologize. A couple of people that deserve to be on that list. By the way, yesterday I put together the all-time Cardinal pitching disappointment list. Speak while I grab my...
5: Randy Randy Carricker's personal all-time Cardinals. Guys who dealt with injuries in their career that had all the talent in the world and it completely derailed them. Yeah. Power rankings one
6: call in the worst timing of this list possible. Yeah.
4: So this was my starting rotation. And I'm going to preemptively put another guy on here. So my starting rotation was Rick Ankeel, Alan Bennis, Michael Walker, Joe McGrain, John Fulgham. Okay. Michelle, I don't know how I cannot have Alex Reyes on this list. So Alex Reyes... Because
5: he's still competing right now. He's done. Randy does. He's done.
4: So he he makes the list. And then Anthony Reyes. How about Anthony Reyes?
5: Uh, You can put him on the list.
4: I mean, he was a... We had high hopes for him. He was a big-time prospect. Pitched game one of the World Series against Detroit, and it uh, just didn't work out for him. So Anthony and Alex are basically in the same boat. One's a fireman already. One will be in a couple of years.
5: I refuse to put Alex Reyes on the list. There's okay, still an you. opportunity for him to There's maximize his There's a positivity cocoon potential. coming out. Hey, listen. Of all days that I need to be in a positivity cocoon, oh, it's the day that Illinois is. plays in the tournament yep. because... You have such a finite window to feel good about your basketball team mm-hmm. when the tournament arises.
4: Believe me, I picked Kentucky.
5: So you know exactly what I'm talking about, Randy. I have about a three-hour window here, maybe maybe five-hour window, to feel good and happy and positive. So that's why we're not going to say that Alex Reyes is done forever. We're not going to say Jack Flaherty is done for the year. Mm-hmm. We're going to wait for the second opinion. Alex Reyes won't be ready for opening day. We know that. Yep. But that think about what happened in the offseason. Truncated spring training, didn't have access to the medical staff. A lot of factors at play. This doesn't mean he's done done forever. Look what at about, the circumstances.
4: What about the other six years of injury?
5: Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> but look what he did last year. He came back from that. He yeah. ha- look on. The, look at the tear he went on last year. Yes, there was fatigue down the end, down the stretch. In the end,
4: love the optimism. It's Friday. Friday,
5: gotta get down on Friday. Yeah, Randy text line, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, furious that Mark Mulder is not on your list.
4: This was only players that came through the Cardinal system. Okay, So you had to come through the Cardinal system and be a hyped prospect, and so that's why... I, somebody texted me last night and said that they couldn't believe Scipio Spinks, who started his career with Houston, was on the list. Also, Silvio Martinez threw a one-hitter in his Cardinal debut against the Mets up in New York. And he had come from the White Sox, but he was only like 23 years old. But it wasn't, uh, he wasn't a guy that the Cardinals had from the beginning of his career, like Ankeel Bennis is Alan Bennis Michael Walker Joe McGrain John Fulgham Alan Watson Donovan Osborne Andy Rincon Mike Perez uh, and then I had a couple of extra relief guys Manny Ibar and Bud Smith and now I've added the the two Reyes to the list
5: we have another one more suggestion mm-hmm. yeah. what about Jaime Garcia who was drafted by the Cardinals
4: thing is he pitched for a long time and actually had if you look at it a pretty decent career didn't live up to what he was supposed to be but wound up pitching like seven years here and had a decent career. Surprising. A ton of injuries, right? Disappointment from that regard. But I don't think that he li- he rises to the standard of what we have with this list. So
5: he's in the Carlos Martinez bucket.
4: Right, exactly. He yeah. didn't
5: reach his potential. Injuries played a part in that, mm-hmm. a major part in both of that, uh, both of them not reaching their potential, mm-hmm. but they did contribute.
4: Right, exactly. Cards and Astros today, 12.05. You can see the game on Bally with Danny Mack. And Devontae Adams got traded to the Raiders last night for a one and a two from Green Bay. There you have it. We're off and running. Coming up, peak and pit on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Up into the peaks or into the pit? Peaks and pits. Join in on the conversation with Character and Smallman now. Text 65780. This is 101 ESPN.
4: Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. What's your peak of the week? What is your pit of the week? Michelle, my pit is pretty obvious, Kentucky basketball. I, that just ruined the rest of March for me because I was planning on them winning a championship.
5: Randy, it's not about hardware. It's about enjoying the journey. Isn't that what you always tell me?
4: Yeah, it is. But I don't have that kind of a, an emotional investment in the Kentucky basketball program. But you do in your bracket. Well, yeah, so that's what I was rooting for. It wasn't really a journey. It was just a couple of weeks. And so, yeah, they kind of ruined the couple of weeks for me. I'll find another team to latch on to. Maybe St. Peter's or something like that. I'm not sure. But uh, they, they are my pit of the week. However, my peak, Michelle, is that tomorrow, and I know it's going to be cool in St. Louis. I have only 56, but I'm going to get onto the golf course tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that.
5: Finally, huh? Yeah. I know you've been uh, upset all week that you haven't been able to take the, advantage of this great weather. Yeah, the
4: weather's been outstanding. I did go hit some balls at the range yesterday.
5: How'd you swing them? How'd, you, how'd the swing feel? Uh, it's You know, it's like taking out that spring jacket. You know, it's a little creaky. Yep. Got to get it worn in. That's
4: exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah kind of creaky going, starting off, but then by the end I was... Wasn't it okay?
5: We were recording commercials yesterday and Randy was doing the Rob Manfred practicing his swing. Yeah. While it, we were doing that. So it, I, I'm not surprised you went to the range. Yeah.
6: Me and Rob Manfred. You know, I was right, by the way, a couple weeks ago. It was disrespectful. Couldn't believe it. What, to practice his golf swing? Right when I was then talking. We was should,
4: unbelievable. We should never see a major league starting pitcher work on his motion again, right? In public.
5: No, we're talking optics here. Everyone uh-huh. was mad at baseball. Okay, Rob? Just look somber. Don't be laughing at the pressers. Don't be practicing your swing. By the All way, you need to do is keep your head down, look somber, and say, I'm sorry to the fans. We're going to get this worked out. There it's easy. There
4: was a piece, I think, in The Athletic with players complaining about Rob Manfred. And I'll find who it was that complained specifically about him laughing at the press conference. If that's the case, if he's that upset about it, I never want to see a player in the dugout when his team's down seven to one in the eighth inning laughing or joking or smiling ever and tell that player whoever it is
5: but that's camaraderie you know laughing and joking that that's bonding them closer together to maybe inspire them to ca- to mount a comeback
4: well don't maybe you that th-
5: will start the rally the laughs Randy.
4: don't you think the baseball owner negotiators needed some camaraderie to win
5: no.
6: No one's, no one's
4: job was on the yeah. line.
5: Hey, if you want to die when in the, the Rob Manfred the Hill, out. you go right ahead.
4: So, I don't... It doesn't matter to me if people smile and laugh. I'm think I i I'm glad, actually, when people are happy.
5: Mm, not when they're canceling baseball
4: games. Yeah, or when they're losing baseball games.
5: Yeah. So, my peak is that Illinois is playing in the tournament today. ILO. I and I. As we all know, sometimes your team doesn't make the tournament. And... <laughs> It's very fun. No, Illinois. There was many years where Illinois didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to know that your heart could be shattered. It's fun to know that, that sports joy could be right <laughs> around the corner. But that frailty of maybe I'll be really bummed mm-hmm. out for like 48 hours. The fact that you could teeter back and forth. It's fun. It's what we all love. So that's going to be my peak. And I You're was setting
4: in- yourself up, aren't you?
5: For what? My pit?
4: Yeah. Well, for disaster? To be heartbroken? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. But
5: I know, I told you guys yesterday, what did I say? You said, oh, my bracket is busted, my champion is out. I said, mine might be out tomorrow, along with my yep. dignity and my sanity. Don't say it. Oh, I, we're in the positivity cocoon on a Friday morning. But my pit, Randy, is the Blues in overtime.
4: Yeah, that was kind of a bummer. It's kind of a bummer, in two, general. Two games recently,
5: yeah. overtime.
4: Yep. Got to gotta get points. Getting points, but... I mean, they got to get the the extra the second point, right? Because this division now is really tight, and we always talk about how quickly things change in the National Hockey League. The Blues have a three point lead over Minnesota. Minnesota has a game in hand, and the Blues have a three point lead over Nashville. So. If you wind up losing a few games And this is going to be a tough trip One of the best teams in hockey uh, You've got a couple of the best teams in hockey Coming up, you've got Washington coming up next week But Columbus is always a threat Even though they aren't having the best year I would say that the Blues better start Getting into a a situation Where they're getting two points on a regular basis
5: Can I give you one more quick pit? Mm Mm-hmm A pit for me is how unbelievably entertaining the NFL is. How even, doesn't matter what else is going on, the NFL finds a way to pull out the most dramatic Mm storylines. And it makes me mad because I love to follow it. But then I get mad at myself for loving to follow it because of what they did to us. It's wild. You know, it just makes me mad. So that's a pit.
6: All right. Your text, 65780. Maracchio. what do you got for us? From the 314 peak, as a Murray State alumni, I am pumped they won last night. Pit, As a lifelong Kentucky fan, I'm still sick to my stomach. I know how that feels. That's a rough
5: morning for BBN.
6: Right? Bummer. That is kind of a pit. Yeah, I just, yeah. I don't want to do that. That's why it's great to
4: have, now I didn't go to the University of Missouri, but I do quite like watching the University of Missouri. Yeah, you do. And sometimes when you have expectations, it just ruins your day. Sometimes it's better to not have expectations.
6: Remember what they said in uh, Ted Lasso, it's the hope that kills you. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the 503 peak, got tickets for my first ever opening day and the next game too. Pitt, uh, My Pirates will likely lose both games. Yes.
5: <laughs> but you're going to the games. That's all that yeah. matters. It'll be a great environment, great atmosphere.
4: Get
6: to see the Clydesdales if
4: you get in on time.
6: And from three one four pit, I didn't join my work bracket challenge because I put it off for too long. Peak, I didn't join my work bracket challenge because my bracket probably would have imploded yesterday. (laughs) There you
5: go. You saved the twenty bucks. There you go.
4: Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text to the air comfort service text line six five seven eight zero. Coming up next, Jay Delsing has his show on Sunday morning. We're going to talk about Jay's bracket and what's going on in the golf world. Next on one hundred (laughs) and one ESPN.
3: Back to the Carickar and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Michelle Smallman, Randy Carickar. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Jay Delsing joins us, longtime PGA pro, one of the great golf ambassadors in the St. Louis metro area. I'm sure that he's been out on the course once or twice or three times this week. Jay, good morning. How are you doing? Hey guys, good morning. How are you doing? Everything's great. So how many times did you get out to hit it this week?
7: <laughs> I just hit it once, but I, I had my new stealth driver. That was really fun. My buddy Jeff Thornhill with Mate got for me. I so appreciate it. It didn't go straight and it didn't go far, but I hit it every time. I didn't swing and miss, so it's all good.
4: How are you at diagnosing a problem? Like when you aren't hitting your driver well, how, how are, do you know exactly when you make a mistake what you've done wrong?
7: Yeah, for the most part. Sometimes I'm uh, with my with my long game. I'm uh, I, I have a, I know what I did wrong, but I have a harder time doing it right. You know, it's kind of like when I parented. It's like do as I say, not as I do. I can't quite get uh, over the hump with my hitting sometimes, but with my short game, my pitching, my chipping, my putting. I got that part.
4: I'm amazed, Jay, that golfers that are as great as you, let's use Ricky Fowler as an example, that a, a great golfer fall, and he's been playing his entire life, but falls into a, a slump, a funk, that for whatever reason he just can't get out of.
7: You know, Randy, it's it's really true. I saw some of the best players in the world, and, I, and I'll talk about Chip Beck and uh, Ian Baker Finch. Ian Baker Finch had just won the British Open, and he was, oh, I think third in the world. And he went to see David Ledbetter because he wanted to try to get a little bit longer because he thought that was his pathway to go to world number one. And he never played uh, a decent tournament again.
5: Jay, what's the, I mean, it's oh,
7: unbelievable. Sorry. sorry, Michelle. No,
5: go ahead. Do you have anything else, Jay? Well, I was I was just going to say I was over playing in
7: the British Open at, at St. Andrews. And as you, I don't know if you know this or not, but the whole... The uh, the inward half, as you, as you, I mean, the outward half, as you're playing your front nine, or, or you're kind of going down the right side of the golf course, and as you're coming home, um, you're on the opposite side. So I look at this group of people. There are probably forty thousand people following this one group, and I see this caddy and this player kind of break away as I'm coming up the fifteenth. They're coming down the third and it's Ian Baker Finch, and he's playing with Arnold Palmer and Greg Norman, and this was Arnold Palmer's last British Open at at St. Andrews, and Ian Baker Finch is a good friend of mine, and he he walks to the right of where we are, almost up the boundary fence on the hole hole that I'm playing, which is you guys literally 50 yards off the fairway. And I said, Finchie, what's going on? He said, mate, best start of the day so far. He hit his first drive out of bounds and he topped his second drive. And his third drive missed the throwaway Randy by 50 yards. And that was the best drive you'd hit all day. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, I felt so bad for him, especially (laughs) in front of all those people. Right.
4: Yeah.
5: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, Jay, with the weather turning, a lot of people are getting out there. They're hitting the driving range for the first time. They're playing their first round of golf in a while. As people get out of hibernation and back into their golf game, do you have any tips for them on how to shake off the rust or get back into that routine?
7: Oh, Michelle, it's a great question. I try to tell everybody, I get all these questions my game sucks. I hate golf right now. It's, it's, I I haven't had a club in my hand. You know, this is the time where you need to be the most patient. And I try to tell people, get your butts off the couch and into the gym some way. Even if it's just get on your bike and ride it for 15 or 20 minutes, get your muscles loose and everything. First of all, we always play in the spring here with a lot of wind. And in the summertime, you guys, when it's meltdown hot, we pay to have any sort of breeze. So we have breeze, which makes the, the golf course play harder. The ground is soft; you're getting no roll. Randy, when you're out on the range, I said yeah, I heard you—you you got to hit some balls. Mm-hmm. The, the balls just plug when they when they land now, because the ground is so soft. And so, uh, and, and also, you're going to have rough because most of the golf courses haven't been manicured very well yet, and the greens are kind of dodgy because they've been in the winter all long. So this is the hardest time of the year to play. Regardless, and I tell everybody, be nicer to yourself. Manage your expectations, if nothing else, and just be grateful that we're out of this damn winter.
4: Yeah, no doubt about it. And the thing is, Jay, and you know this better than anybody, but normally when you get out there in the spring and you haven't played a lot, you need to get into a rhythm. You have to use that muscle memory that you build up over the course of time for any sports endeavor, right? You need to, you can't be a good golfer when you only play once or twice or it's your third time in.
7: No, oh my gosh. You guys, when I was playing on tour, I played every single day. I was practicing, chipping, pitching, putting, playing, whatever it was. Now I play two or three times a week, and I, I stand up there even when I'm loose in the first couple of shots, I'm like, I have no idea where this thing's going to go. <laughs> just try to hit it out there. And and I, and I try to tell people, it's just, just try to develop some sort of sense of rhythm in your swing, right? You, we know we want to crush it. We want to drop bombs off the tee, but it, it's just not practical when you first step out there. Start with a wedge and loosen up on the range. Michelle, getting back to your question, or your tip, maybe loosen up with a with a wedge and and just get a feel for the club and a feel for the game, and then go to a mid iron before you go to your driver. I see so many people run right out of the car and jump onto the range and start wailing on their driver. And I'm like, oh man, that's gonna hurt everything. It's gonna hurt your body. It's gonna hurt your back, and it's gonna hurt your feelings because the ball's not gonna go <laughs> where the damn.
5: But they're so excited, Jay. It's like Christmas morning. <laughs>
7: It is true. You know, I, they've waited a long it, time it, for this. It's true. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I've been heartbroken most of my life playing the stupid game, I, and, I, <laughs> and I still can't wait for it.
5: Well, Jay, it's March Madness, and most media entities have different brackets out there, fun and creative brackets. And Golf.com actually has a golf swing bracket up right now. And it made me think, if you could have any player on tour's swing, if, even if you could just sub it out, your swing for their swing for one day or one round, who would it be?
7: Oh, man, I would probably either Fred Couples or Ernie Els. And I know those are older guys like myself, but, man, uh, you know, Fred Couples is still playing at Augusta, and he's 60 years old. And and up until a couple years ago, he was still competing. And I kind of grew up playing uh, junior golf with Fred, and I used to watch him swing. I'm like, how the hell do you do that? You know, because his rhythm is so great. And you guys, when I get off, it's usually because I get too fast. Even if I'm playing well, I, I'm always monitoring, you know, calm down. Don't, you know, I'll rip the club away from the ball with a really fast, uh, uh, kind of snatchy move from the backswing. And that's the kiss of death. You just got to go really slow and smooth. And I always love Fred Couple's rhythm and Ernie's uh, as well.
4: It's amazing as testosterone-laden as we are that everybody doesn't just try to swing it as hard as they can, because that's my issue, too. Oh, i, I got to do this fast, i got to swing hard, and that's just what guys do. That's why women are such good golfers. I know, and
7: it just really pisses me off to watch those women with their greatest rhythm, you know... We did the U.S. Uh, Women's U.S. Open, my first Women's U.S. Open for Fox. It was years ago, I think in 2015. We were at Lancaster Country Club, and I was standing on the range with Greg Norman and all these guys. I was just marveling at how not one of these great women players overswung. And so I, we got the afternoon off. I'm like, I'm going to hit some balls, and I'm going to go out there and not overswing. It took me seven swings before I overswing. <laughs> It, oh, I could only do it seven times and I'm like oh screw it I'm just going to swing as hard as I can
4: <laughs> Hey Jay one other uh, note for you within well three weeks from today we'll be in the midst of the 2022 Masters and the way things have gone down the stretch last season and this season it seems to me that the majors this year are really 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 wide open I can't pick one guy where I say he, to this point in 2022 and, and this season he should be a favorite do you see a guy that's playing well Where you say he looks like a guy that could win the Masters in three weeks?
7: Yeah, I don't, Randy, and it's really interesting because by this time of the year, you know, you start somebody starts pulling away a little bit, and I was going to say John Rahm up until the last month or so, he just really has kind of fallen off. I still think he's going to win win at Augusta before the whole thing's over. Dustin Johnson hasn't been playing very well, and you know, the way that he drives the ball, that place is, you know. It's almost like a playground for him, and and I will say this: DJ has a different gear than the other players right now. Right now, we only saw that little glimpse at the end. I think two years ago at the end of the year, when he played well, he won tournaments not by you know one or two, but by five or six, mm-hmm. and was shooting massively under par. This kid, Cameron Smith, I mean. He had 34 under par at the first event of the year over in Maui, and now he just, how about the way that he won it at the Players last week?
4: Well, he, I mean, man, you talk about a closing rush. On
7: oh, he, my gosh.
4: It was unbelievable.
7: And if, Randy, if you would have said, you're going to give this dude four pars in an 18-hole round of golf on a Sunday at the Players, is he going to shoot under par or over par, I would have said, oh, man, you're over par for sure.
4: Right. So, and he so, he he's fine It's weird And it's kind of like A clutch player In baseball Isn't it He he makes the shots At the most important times
7: He, he really did I mean and on, on 18 I don't know why He's got a three stroke lead I don't know why He's hitting driver But he hits his driver And hits it too far Through the fairway In the pine straw And then Just put it in the fairway Pop it on the green And the way he was putting He was probably going to make it But he chips it All the way across the fairway mm-hmm. Into the water And and I mean, my my head would have exploded at that point. But if you listen to him in and the presser afterwards, he said, Yeah, it was sitting down in the pine straw and I was just trying to chip out and it came out really fast. There's nothing I could do about it. And I'm like, Well, that's why he hit the next shot a foot from the hole, because I don't know what I would have done. Not hit it a foot from the hole, guys. There would have been a lot of other options in there.
4: You would have been thinking about something else for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jay who, who, do you, who do you have on the show Sunday?
7: Today I have, or Sunday I have Brett Mooney. He is the um, president of the Gateway uh, PGA section, and he just got the uh, new director of golf job over at Algonquin Country Club. So he's really a good guy.
4: He really is. He was involved with my tournament, which has been at Old Hickory for years, and uh, what a great move for him to go to uh, Algonquin. That'll be great. We'll be tuned in on Sunday morning.
7: All right, guys. Thanks for the time. Randy, we got to get something on the calendar, so once this uh, weather sticks, we got to go play.
4: I love that idea. We'll do it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jake. Jay Delsing, you can hear him Sunday morning here on 101 at ESPN 9 to 10 with Golf with Jay Delsing. Get your text in now. The air comfort service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
4: It's time for taking a leave it on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. And Michelle, congratulations to Amber Nicole, social media personality, blogger, sweetheart, and maybe, maybe not, Jamar Chase, who may or may not be the father of the baby that she just gave birth to.
5: Oh, okay.
4: So she complained last year, remember, during training camp that he didn't wash himself after practice and things like that. Oh. They've had kind of an up-and-down relationship, but now she has a baby that uh, she claims is his. He says, "Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But she's taking a lot of abuse on the socials, Michelle, for naming the baby Uno. Take it or leave it. That's a pretty cool name.
5: Love the game. Yeah. Um, and the
4: restaurant back in the day.
5: I never went to the restaurant. Uh, they,
4: they still got them in Chicago. Yeah, there was one uh, at uh, uh, Clarkson, uh, right up by Chesterfield Mall up there. And it became the uh, Chesterfield version of Charlie Gito's.
5: You know what I used to be my jam back in the mall days was Olga's. Olga's. Maybe it was just a St. Clair Square thing, but they had these seasoned chips that were kind of pita chips that were amazing and almost a frozen orange Julius. Oh, really? B- Yum. But it was so good. Shout out to Olga's, my one ers They know what I'm and talking about. the late
4: great Sparrow.
5: Is Sabar, not a thing anymore?
4: No, I think they went bankrupt. I think they're gone. Oh, what? Yeah.
5: Randy, I told you to not disrupt my positivity cocoon this morning. I didn't
4: know that that was a negative. I thought everybody knew. Sabaro,
5: what?
4: I think they might have gone out of business like seven or eight years ago.
5: Kids today, they'll never know the joy of getting a slice and walking around (sighs) the mall. Wasn't that
4: spectacular? Those were the days.
5: Meet your friends, walk (laughs) around.
4: We'll we'll work on this. Let me see a spark. Go
5: to the Limited. Maybe see a boy you like at Structure.
6: I love... (laughs) I love. Wow. I love St. Louis Chinese takeout food, but something about the, the the food court Chinese food would always hit differently.
5: Oh my gosh! This is why I love the BLIS, the best listeners in sports. Thank you to everyone texting on the Air Comfort Service text line six one eight. Olga's is still at the Alton Mall. Oh, there you go. So guess where I'm going? Yep. Alton. See you there. Not in St. Clair Square. Pretty no. awesome. Wow! I'm so excited that Olga's is still around. Who knew? Well, I guess the, folk, the great folks of Alton knew.
4: Okay, so Sparrow, by the way. Uh, is apparently still in business. They exited bankruptcy in 2014... And started over in 2015, they changed their logo. 2016, 318 locations, the decline of mall food courts, and obviously the decline of malls, and changing dietary choices among Americans are felt to be the major factor in Sparrow's regression. So it is, has regressed.
5: But still around.
4: Yeah, somewhere.
5: People are saying that there's a Sabaro at St. Clair Square in Fairview Heights. Well, there we go. People get... are saying it's still kicking. Okay. So we may have lost Olga's, but Sabaro's still there. Okay, I'm love going. love it. And they're telling me those pita chips are called Snackers, Olga okay. Snackers. Mm. That was the jam, <laughs> the Snackers. Randy,
4: take all of that from getting a, a kid named Uno. Take it or leave it. It's a cool name.
5: Uh, I'll take it yeah, because he's probably going to be the only Uno in his class.
4: Yeah, and there's his mom's named Amber McColl. There's probably a million Amber McColls.
5: Right. I mean, you're gonna, he's going to have like twelve Masons in his class. Yeah, you yeah, what you what know, you, a bunch of Aiden's. There's going to be. One Uno Get it yeah. There's what only going to be One
6: Uno <laughs> It's going to be weird When you have a second kid <laughs> Dos <laughs>
4: That's just see, that's, no, that's That doesn't just hit calling. as hard
6: And now it's weird That your one kid Is named one And your other one Is named Bill It's just like Well I <laughs> feel like they, That just sends a message
4: Maybe they could just go Like uh, George Foreman did Name them all Uno Oh
6: god I forgot about that
5: No I think if you name Your first kid Uno You just name your second kid Joe Or something super yeah, normal
6: that's, that, that Joe is not going to Grow up a normal person If you do that.
5: (laughs) Joe will be fine. Take it or leave it, Randy. You have more confidence in Alex Reyes returning this season than you do Jack Flaherty.
4: Leave it. I have lost all confidence in Alex Reyes returning from injury during the course of a season. If he does not start a season with my team, I don't expect to see him. But you... I expect to...
5: Maybe it's because uh, Alex Reyes has returned from injury mm-hmm. so many times that I have more confidence in him. Yeah. This Jack Flaherty thing seems to be lingering, which is why I have more concern.
4: Why don't we just count them both out and go get a pitcher? Come on, Cardinals, <laughs> go get I, us a pitcher.
5: I thought you were gonna say go get a pizza. From <laughs> oh,
4: a pizza too. That that might be what they do. I would go get a pitcher, but maybe they'll go across the street down in Jupiter and say, let's have,
6: let's get a, let's get a pie. Oh, I'm gonna get a pizza today now. That just that settled it. All right, let's go to 573, take it or leave it. Losing six of eight games is a sign for Doug Armstrong to hold his cards and wait until the offseason when he makes a big seal to add to the defense. Uh, I'm going to leave that.
5: I'm going to leave it. This is still a good team. Fortify them get, them. get them a piece that really pushes them to be better for the playoffs.
6: Yeah. 816, take it or leave it. The Cardinals are done making moves.
5: I'm going to leave that. I think they're going to need to make a pitching move.
6: I do, too. And...
4: Corey Dickerson a nice pickup yesterday yes, he's, it was. A, he's not a star but you need a unit and he'll be a nice part of a unit for the Cardinals and there are still starting pitchers out there heck I was on the on the Zach Davies bandwagon before the lockout he's still sitting out there you can get him on a minor league deal bring him in He he's the quintessential Cardinal pitcher he throws strikes he doesn't throw hard if you're going to spend all this money and praise yourself for
6: building this defense get a pitcher that uses it mm-hmm. good point on the complete other side of the spectrum, take it or leave it, Mo pulls off the big trade for Maniea and signs story before next week. Yeah, I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave that.
5: Oh, I'll leave that too. That's that seems like a lot of action.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and when you look at what the Mets gave up for Bassett and what it took to get Olsen for the Braves and Chapman for the Blue Jays from Oakland, Oakland is asking for pretty high level prospects. And I don't think the Cardinals are in that mode right now. I, I think, Michelle, they're still in that mode of we gave up so much to get Ozuna and Goldschmidt and Arenado. We don't want to trade multiple prospects for another guy like Manaya or Frankie Montas or whoever it is. They want to protect their prospects now because they gave up so many over the course of a four year period.
6: And again, on the complete opposite side of the spectrum from our first text from the 770, take it or leave it, the Blues win the Stanley Cup this year. Take it. Yeah, take it. Randy, should you leave it? Positivity Randy. cocoon. Yeah, but you, should you, you, yeah, leave you it? Gonna touch the cup in the next hey, month
4: or two just or something? Bring the cup in, and I'll give it a nice mm. smooch.
5: <laughs> you really planted one on that cup.
4: Yeah, I did.
6: You kissed it? Oh, you betcha! I did, man. I thought you just touched it. Oh no, no Randy! Oh. You Randy kissed it before so they not won. Messing around. They
5: were T-shirts. Oh no! You said we touched it first, right?
4: Yeah, we had T-shirts that said we touched it. But
5: first. you kissed the cup. I didn't it. you kissed it. So, Randy and I both completely convinced the Blues were cursed. We. Yeah. Did some digging on the dark web about how to reverse a curse. It involved black salt that you had to procure from a gypsy and a mirror. We were ready. We were going to go down um, to Enterprise Center and we were going to reverse the curse. It didn't end up happening. The blues went from worst to first and the cup. During the playoffs, making its rounds for photo ops. The cup comes in. I'm on the morning show. I won't even get near the cup. I'm hiding in the corner because I'm so superstitious. I won't even look at the cup. I won't even make direct eye contact with the cup. The cup stays. The cup doesn't have eyes, Michelle. Well, yes, it does. It has eyes and a soul. And it, the cup sees everything, Randy. And... The cup stays through the fast lane and all of a sudden my phone starts blowing up because I wasn't listening at the time. People are like, did you hear what Randy did? He kissed the cup. I go, no, you must be mistaken. This must be a joke that they're punking you. There's no way Randy kissed the cup. Sure enough, I see photographic evidence of Randy smooching the cup for our supposedly cursed blues team during the playoffs. I was furious. But you know what, Randy? It worked. It worked. So thank you. I was wrong. You were right. I am dumb. You are smart. No, I I, I wouldn't say that.
4: It's uh, here we go. Oh no, this is after. This is kissing the cup after it had been won by the Blues. There's a picture of Michelle and Randy with the cup.
6: By the way, yes. Uh, No, I got to go back and find this one though. This is kind of funny. Kiss the
5: cup. He kissed it. You kissed it. He smooched it.
6: Ah, Three and four. Tioli sounds like a delicious Italian dish. I always get hungry when I hear it.
5: Oh yeah, it does. That's a good point. What have for dinner? Tioli.
6: And from 314, take it or leave it. New York style pizza is 10 times better than STL style.
5: Um, I'll think that it's better, but better. not 10 times. Yeah, 10
6: times a little a little bit of a harsh magnitude. I do like it better, though.
5: Yeah, I mean, we. this is what I always say about St. Louis style pizza. I love it, but we grew up loving it. Mm-hmm. People that have never had it and what they think pizza is, they think about New York style pizza. They think about a, a classic hand toss, and they don't want to give st louis style pizza a chance so right. they're gonna come in with a negative attitude they won't like it
6: when i when i think i want pizza like when we just got talking to the pizza conversation i think oh i'm getting pizza tonight that's i'm not getting uh, you know i gotta be in a really i gotta be in a specific mood for emos but when i'm in that mood i will house an entire sausage pepperoni green green pepper like large from emos if i'm in the mood for that emos because the when it, in the right time that provol cheese is always good
4: michelle may 1st of 2019
5: that's when you smooch the cup there it is. I can't believe it. That picture. Right, so you got to tweet that, Randy. How do we set this well, back tweet up? Right now. How do we at set Randy this back Carriker. up, Randy?
6: How do we set this back up?
5: And at RJ Character on Instagram, because I'm sure yeah. you'll share it, share it there, too. I
6: will, yeah.
5: Um. By the way, we did this last Friday. Ran- I was just about to say. Randy slid into someone someone's DM. <laughs> oh, not yeah. just anyone. Do you think that
6: going to put it over Not the top? just
5: anyone. He slid into the cover star of Playboy Africa, and she wrote back.
4: Yeah. Caroline Lecker, who I refer to fondly now as C-Note. Hey, how you doing, babe?
5: C-Note?
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs> did C-Note give you the follow back?
4: Uh, you, you know what? I haven't checked that, but she did. Uh, she We communicate on a regular basis. Okay. It's all, it's all good.
5: Well, if she sees you kissing the cup.
4: Oh, you know, that could change things. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just, uh, should I DM that? But <laughs> I, you know. We've, we've kind of broken up now. We've we, I kissed the cup, but we kind of broke up.
5: My favorite thing about that was that we were talking about Carolina Lecker DMing people, like trapping yeah. them. And then I told everyone to DM you and your DM was, DMs were flooded, flooded. with dudes. <laughs> Just saying, hey, Randy, what's going on, handsome? What do you think the blues are going to do at the trade deadline? <laughs> Randy's DMs were the popping best. last Friday.
4: The best. Uh, you guys are the best. Thank you, uh, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for being a part of Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals have their first spring training game today. What's one thing that we need to see by April 7th from this club during their 15 spring training games? That's next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's character and Smallman's Fresh Tate. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available
6: in
5: the app today.
6: Yeah, he's in a really good spot. Um, I am... I'm extremely excited about about what he's going to be able to do. Um, I've liked him for for several years, and just to have him back in the rotation is going to be a lot of fun. Um, He's in a good spot physically. He's in a good spot mentally. He's got a great routine, and uh, I've
8: got nothing but positive things to say about, about Dakota.
4: That is the Cardinals skipper Ali Marmol talking about Dakota Hudson and what he has seen so far and how excited he is about Hudson as the Cardinals start spring training games today. Houston is the opponent. It's a noon game. Danny Mack will have the call on Bally Sports starting at noon. And, Michelle, it's interesting that he brings up Dakota Hudson because I had a more broad hope and expectation for the Cardinals as they start spring training games. What I need to see, and... Jack Flaherty's kind of already ruined this, but I needed to see the starting pitching be ready to go, despite the fact that they had truncated spring training on April 7th. But Wainwright pitches today, Wainwright, Hudson, Michaelis, Matz, I need to see those guys ready to rock and roll and give me at least five innings and build themselves up starting on April 7th.
5: I couldn't agree with you more that depth is had some question marks entering spring training and now it's going to be tested even early on. I need to see those guys looking sharp healthy and ready to go particularly Dakota Hudson and Miles Michaelis.
4: And I I wonder does the sixth starter do you bring back Oviedo? Do you Give Matthew Libertor a chance. Is it Chris Vanderha? I don't I don't know who the... Drew Verhagen. F- oh, yeah, Drew Verhagen. Sorry. Drew Verhagen. Okay, yeah. He's been a starter before. But who is your number five starter, if indeed Jack Flaherty can't go on opening day?
5: I would love to see Matthew Libertor get the call. Mm-hmm. I know the Cardinals might be a little bit more delicate with him. But it seems like it, it could be an interesting time to soft launch him. But I know after the Oviedo experiment last year, they probably won't want to bring him up before they believe he's totally ready.
4: And that is 100% correct. They brought him up before his time last year, and it was really unfair to him and unfair to them. And what they need now, and he didn't show that he could throw strikes. They need strike throwers. And to their credit, all three of the relievers that they did sign, Whitgren. Uh, Chris uh, Drew, Drew Verhagen, Ver <laughs> and uh, then the Zach McAllister, the carrot cake guy, the other day—they're they, all <laughs> strike throwers. And McAllister's has delicious carrot cake, by the way.
5: I also think of Home Alone, Kevin McAllister. Oh yeah,
4: good thought. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So anyway, they're all strike throwers, and that's one thing that I believe the Cardinals would benefit from is a getting Oviedo to become a strike thrower. But when you start. This season, you can have a guy from outside the organization that's capable of throwing strikes and there's still the, the big names aren't out there in terms of free agent pitchers. But there's still a few guys out there that I think the Cardinals would do well to roll the dice on and see if they can make something work because I'm I'm not very confident in the prospects right now for that fifth starter.
5: I also, Randy, have a lot of concerns about the offense and seeing the offense produce consistently because that's something we've been talking about for Mm -hmm. years with the Cardinals and the Jeff Albert approach. And I want to see... I know it might might take a while, and especially with the truncated spring training, to get guys into that groove. But I want to see the offense looking like the, these guys are going up there, they have a smart approach, they're taking smart at-bats, and specifically the young internal options that the Cardinals are intrigued by for the DH. I want to see a Lars Newbar or a Nolan Gorman or a Juan Yepez look like they're ready to assume that position when called upon.
2: And you
4: can't guarantee that, and that's why they have Dickerson in camp, right. because Dickerson can be that guy on opening day if they need him to be. And Michelle, a lot of this goes back to the issues of last year, and I'll tell you what, and the Cardinals invite speculation when they talk about their their philosophical differences with Mike Shilton why he got fired if I, and I'm going to speculate, <laughs> no factual basis to this whatsoever.
5: a rec- Reckless speculation on a Friday.
4: Right. But we know the Cardinals are all in on Jeff Albert and what he does, right?
5: Well, their their behavior has yep. indicated that, yes, that is the case.
4: And I go back to that day, and I don't remember the exact day, where in the pregame, Mike Schilt said, we've gone a little bit too far with the slugging and not enough with the on-base. And then afterwards, Tommy Edmund said, we don't really adjust during games. We don't have a plan. I would. I I have to wonder if the players that were negatively affected by Jeff Albert, Matt Carpenter has admitted that he was one of those, not that this would have helped him, but the offense did improve after that day. I wonder if Mike Schilt essentially said to his players, hey, don't worry about what that guy is saying. You do you, and you be productive with the way you became productive to make it to the major league level. If he might have uh you know, for lack of a better term, emasculated, Jeff Albert is the hitting coach.
5: And that's part of the philosophical differences? Yeah,
4: because they're all in on their coach.
5: Sure. Okay, let's go down this rec- reckless speculation path. I love it. If that was in fact the case, wouldn't you as a front office or as a decision maker in the organization look at which approach was yielding positive results?
4: Depends on how big my ego is.
5: But at the, end, at the end of the day, Randy, winning is all that matters. Success is all that matters. You're all judged by one barometer and it's whether you win or whether you produce. And I don't think that anyone in the front office's job is in jeopardy. I think they're yeah. all pretty safe. However, if I very publicly... Had said, we are going down this road, whether it's Mark Budaska, Mike Schilt, everyone needs to be on the same page philosophically. And it's this specific philosophy. If the results weren't there, then why would I be digging? Why would it be dying on that hill? Is Michelle, my
8: question. I'm a
4: smart guy. OK, yes, you are and very
5: smart. Mega Megamind, in fact, I, I,
4: I am. The, I'm the president of baseball operations of the Cardinals. I'm a smart guy. And Tony La Russa was here. And Tony got all that credit for winning in 2011 when I was the general manager and I made the trade that brought in the bullpen guys to help that team win the World Series.
5: Don't win without those guys.
4: I put together a team in 2013 that went to the World Series, and people say, "Well, they went to the World Series with Larusa's team." And now there are no the, the only Larusa guys left are Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Mm-hmm. But I want some damn credit for what I've done, and nobody, no non-analytics guy, is going to come in and tell my players to not listen to my coach.
5: Okay. Um hypothetical head of baseball operations yes. for the Cardinals. And this is just
4: me. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that anybody else would feel this way. This is just the way I would feel. This
5: is almost masterpiece theater here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're just t- we're talking it out hypothetically. I understand that you have kept this window to win for the organization open and that's a rare thing to do. Mm-hmm. The consistently the consistency displayed by this organization is very, very impressive.
4: I'm really good at my job.
5: You are good at your job and you do not get enough credit for how good you are at your job. However, the end result is all that matters. So whether they go down the path that you want them to or they deviate and they have success elsewhere, that's all that should matter. And if your offense for, what is it, three seasons now, has Mm -hmm. had major inconsistencies and you don't think... that's, I guess guess my counter to you, Pobo, Mm -hmm. is how long is the leash with this thing? How many times are you going to say, well, it was Mark Budaska. Oh, it's Mike Schilt. It's philosophical differences. It's because we don't have enough voices internally translating the information to the players. Well, maybe the players aren't computing it correctly or they're not all buying in. At what point are we going to say, well, Mark Budaska did have some results and when... Tommy Edman made those comments, and it seemed like guys deviated a little bit, or at least took more ownership in what they were doing. There were some positive results. At what point do we reach the end of the road with this, or at what point do you determine that it's been successful?
4: When I decide, and by the way, I believe it's been very successful organizationally. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. young players are hitting the ball harder. There's some players, O'Neill at the major league level, who is hitting a lot better. So I'm going to. I'm going to take credit here, and when it doesn't work is when I say it doesn't work. And by the way, I don't care about batting average. I only care about exit velocity. So uh, results, at at the end of the day, those wins, those are irrelevant. Those wins aren't what matters. It's the background numbers. It's the peripherals mm. that matter. As long as the math is telling me we're fine, we're fine.
5: So you play to win the game, correct? You play to win championships, eh, correct? You know, uh,
4: there are some people in my industry that would suggest that wins for a one-loss record for a manager is overrated.
5: Okay. So... Uh, just so we're clear here, you're talking about a, ph- a philosophy that's analytically driven, correct? Yes, I am. So I need some data points here. If we're if we're all in on analytics and we're all in on data, you can't just say it's done when I say it's done. I need some data points for you to tell me when it's done, because that's what we're doing here, right? We're talking about numbers. We're talking about concretely leaning into the numbers and not just well, a, a baseball eye or a feel for the game. We're, we're getting rid our, of the
4: old school approach. Our goal is to win the World Series. And the goal is to do it my way. And if we go on, eh, let's just throw out a number. A 17-game winning streak in September, make the playoff. It's because of the numbers that I have. It's because of what the players are doing that I have installed organizationally.
5: Bo- <laughs> sorry, sorry to take you serious <laughs> During this um, I just keep picturing you Like adjusting your bow tie As you're talking <laughs> It's pretty good But so, so, Michelle
4: I don't wear bow ties
5: So you agree The goal is to win the World Series That's what we say So it doesn't matter how well, you get no, there Well no
4: because when we say Ultimately I gotta make money for my boss mm-hmm. Right So When I say the expectation is to win the World Series, that causes people to buy tickets, that causes people to watch on TV, and that causes my owner to make more money.
5: Okay, so when's the last time that you and your organization won the World Series? Question for you. And this is the last thing from me. That's
4: a team I put together for 2011.
5: Okay, that's right. 2011. Who was the hero from that team? Just I can't remember
4: uh, Albert Pujols.
5: No, 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 no. Who was the guy who came up really big in the postseason? I think Chris might've, Carpenter might have been a local guy. Chris,
4: Chris Carpenter, the guy that I suggested from Toronto.
5: No, 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 that's not uh, it. Joe Mather. I think. Oh, shout out to Joe Joe Mather. Yeah. Um, but
4: the first trade I ever made was for one St. Louis and David Freeze.
5: Oh yes, David Freeze. And congratulations on bringing him to St. Louis. Thank
4: you. It was all me.
5: But down the stretch, analytically. I believe, if my recall is correct, that the numbers did not say that David Fries would have been the guy to lean on in the postseason. But I believe Mark McGuire, baseball guy, looked at his swing and said, I just have a feel for this. He's going to break through. He just He's just getting hot at the right time. And so the, the numbers wouldn't have bared it out that you stick with David Fries, right? But a different approach, uh, a, a baseball approach. Oh, I guess the numbers could be a baseball approach, but an old school approach let's say, allowed you to win a World Series, allowed that guy to continue on and get hot and defy the numbers? Is that what we're At the end of the saying?
4: day, we never get to David Freeze if the guy that I signed, Lance Berkman, on a 3-2 pitch after he had had seven pitches come to him doesn't dunk one into left center.
5: True, and congratulations for Thank acquiring you. him. So, that was amazing. But I'm just, I'm saying if, if numbers are the only metric we're going to... To lean on here, I don't think David Freeze would have been in that position, no.
4: Fair enough. One example. <laughs> I have thousands.
5: One example <laughs> that allowed you to win a World Series championship. And scene. <laughs> That's
4: Michelle. Hi Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN we've got four downs from the <laughs> NFL.
3: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Time for four downs and I get first down. Michelle, with the salary cap in place, the Green Bay Packers had a problem. Leading up to the start of the league year, the Packers restructured Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, and Kenny Clark. That combined freed up about $21.6 million in cap space. The extensions for Aaron Rodgers and Preston Smith created an additional 26.4, and then they released uh, Zedaria Smith and Billy Turner. That saved $18.6 million. If you don't want to do the math yourself, I can tell you that is $65 million in cap savings. And with all of that, over the cap projected that the Packers were still $6.9 million over the cap. They still have to sign their best defender, cornerback Jair Alexander, and offensive lineman Eldon Jenkins to new deals. So, well, the Raiders were willing to give up a number one and a number two for the $20 million cap hit of Devontae Adams. Aaron Rodgers knew about it, that Adams didn't want to be back. So, that's the deal. Adams to the Raiders for a one and a two. He wants the contract and to get out, the Packers to get under the cap. That's what they had to do. Now they have to pick up a couple of veteran-wide receivers and take at least one in the draft. But at least we know Rodgers will elevate those guys. And, Michelle, one other side note from the Devontae Adams deal, among many side notes, and I'll have one at the end of the segment as well. Rams GM Les Snead says, F them picks. Mm-hmm. He's got that approach, and he won a Super Bowl. Now teams are copying that, and with the small sample size, they think, okay, we can win a Super Bowl. Frances— franchises like the packers and the patriots and the Steelers and the ravens haven't changed they still value having draft picks and they still understand the concept of having young inexpensive players and they've reloaded with drafts to remain dominant over the years i'll be interested to see who's good in five years if draft and develop still winds up being a viable way to win in the nfl or if the league has changed now and draft picks don't mean as much
5: I was very surprised to see this news come across my phone yesterday strictly because when Aaron Rodgers decided to stay there, you would think his guys would also want to stay there, right? This kind of seems like what the path would be. We would all roll it back together. Mm -hmm. And so I think the first thing most people thought of was Aaron Rodgers has to be really angry. But then the reports come out that he signed in Green Bay knowing Devontae was going to leave. That doesn't add up for me.
4: I think Aaron Rodgers is in it for the money. And
5: But he could get a lot of money elsewhere. He could have gotten a lot of money wherever he went.
4: I don't know if he was going to get to be the highest paid player in the league, though.
5: So it's just that designation that he wanted?
4: I think so. And he knows he's been through a lot of receivers. A lot of guys have come and gone. And he's made a lot of guys great in Green Bay. By the way, one other fun note for you. Let me get to this because it's something that I didn't think about until last night. Uh, Talking to uh, my peeps up in Green Bay, think about the fact that over the years, Desmond Howard wins a Super Bowl MVP for the Packers, goes to the Raiders, flop. Mm -hmm. Javon Walker leaves Green Bay as a free agent, first for Denver, goes to the Raiders, flop. James Jones leaves the Packers for the Raiders as a big money free agent, flop. Jordy Nelson Cut by the Packers Goes to the Raiders Big money free agent Flop At some point One of these Former Packer receivers Has to work out For the Raiders Doesn't he?
5: This one might be it Might be it And don't you love The Raiders still going for it? I mean man are they Making oh, moves yeah. That division is going to yeah. be So entertaining
4: Well think about this Patrick Mahomes Russell Wilson Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler Josh Jacobs Tyreek Hill Devonte Adams Keenan Allen Cortland Sutton Mike Williams Travis Kelsey Darren Waller All in the same division
5: It's going to be fun
4: it's gonna, that, that is a Super Bowl division Second down.
5: Randy, Deshaun Watson has had two drama-filled off-seasons. Let's roll it back, shall we? He signed that four-year, $156 million contract extension in September of 2020 and then promptly asked for a trade that winter when he realized the Texans were a hot mess.
4: I don't know how a guy does that and relaxes.
5: Well, (laughs) so you remember that he won it out of... Houston, right? But for football reasons at that point. <laughs> yeah. And remember, we didn't know if he was going to play there. We thought maybe Miami would be the landing spot. Well, he actually didn't play last season after those 22 lawsuits against him, alleging sexual assault and inappropriate conduct during massage sessions came to light. Mm-hmm. But after the Texas grand jury declined to indict Watson on criminal charges last week, it looks like he's finally going to get what he wanted, which is out of Houston. Trade talks between the Texans and interested teams have intensified, Randy, and this Deshaun Watson courting session, not a court session, a courting session, feels like an episode of The Bachelor. We knew what the interested parties were. We knew the Falcons, the Browns, the Panthers, and the Saints were interested. But one by one, these teams have been sent away from the mansion. But if you did not receive a rose, please say your goodbyes. The Browns, informed by Deshaun, he's out. And now they have a mess on their hands with Baker Mayfield. But if you did not receive a rose, please say your goodbyes. The Carolina Panthers informed yesterday they're out of the running. That's according to Adam Schefter, which means that the battle for Deshaun and his affection and his landing spot is down to two teams, the Atlanta Falcons and the New New Orleans Saints. Who will he choose, Randy? Stay tuned.
4: Who do you think he's going to choose?
5: I think he's going to choose the New Orleans Saints.
4: Mm, I think he's going home to Atlanta.
5: All right.
4: I think it's... An unbelievable story. When you think about everything that this guy allegedly did, and rather than having to grovel for a job, teams are groveling for him. That tells you about that position in sports. It's remarkable. Yes, it does. Third down. All right, Michelle, if the Falcons get Watson, the team set up to get closest to the Super Bowl after their offseason moves, closer than the Chargers, closer than the Broncos, closer than the Falcons. Could be the Indianapolis Colts. Now,
5: oh, go on. follow
4: along here. They traded Carson Wentz and sat out the Russell Wilson drama. They didn't go after Mitch Trubisky. They haven't gone after Jimmy G, at least not yet. But if the Colts sit tight and wait out Watson to the Falcons, Falcons have to get rid of Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan to the Colts with that running game, with that offensive line, with that defense. He's already been to a Super Bowl. He's a guy that doesn't make mistakes like Carson Wentz did. For me, if Matt Ryan winds up with Frank Reich in Indianapolis, the Colts become one of the teams that we look at as a power in the AFC that has a chance to represent that conference in the Super Bowl. I could see it. I could too. And wouldn't it be brilliant just to sit everything out and then the last move that's made, you say, yeah, yeah, we'll take Matt Ryan. And you get him for cheap because the Falcons would have had to cut him.
5: I like that approach, the slow burn. Wait and see how this plays out, then make your move.
4: Yeah, let's be patient.
5: Which leads me to my fourth down.
3: Fourth down.
5: Well, in a quarterback league, Randy, Ron Rivera has had his fill of them while he's in D.C. He started six different quarterbacks during two seasons, and he finally wanted some stability at the position. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing quarterback musical chairs all across the league. This is the time for the newly branded commanders to get their guy. And they jumped the gun and get Carson Wentz?
6: What's up, Commanders fans? Carson Wentz here, just landed in D.C. I'm excited to get to work, excited to uh, come in and compete. And, uh, you know, as we all know, excited to really go ahead and uh, start to take command.
5: Excited to go ahead and start to take command, command, Carson. Uh, I see what you did. And I know that you tried to wear Commander's colors at the presser, but you look like a hot dog. Yeah, you really did. It was a condiment
4: setup right there. It was.
5: It was a color rush situation. Yeah. But... I regress. Back to Carson Wentz in D.C. Well, I guess we were talking about that, but back to the football side of things, not the fashion side of things. So I wanted to find out why the commanders wouldn't wait and see how this plays at, played out. Reports were that Deshaun wasn't interested. Reports were a couple other quarterbacks not necessarily interested mm-hmm. in the commanders or maybe in the organization as a whole. Yep. Yep. However, there are still some guys out there you think they would be intrigued by. Perhaps Jimmy G, a guy who's been to a couple of Super Bowls and seems to make his teams better. With all the stuff we're hearing about Carson Wentz, I wondered why now? Why Carson Wentz? Well, there's a great piece, Randy, at The Athletic that really reveals Ron Rivera's thought process and why he settled on Carson Wentz. So, apparently, he went to North Carolina and had a visit with Joe Gibbs, and he and the three-time Super Bowl winning coach talked about a list of candidates that would bring the stability I spoke of back to Washington. The file that they came up with consisted of seven names. Seven names, and Carson Wentz was on them. He said he looked at different stats that Carson Wentz had, and that made him feel confident in his abilities. He doesn't think that he's met his abilities since we saw that MVP season, almost MVP Mm -hmm. season, in Philadelphia. He said Wentz finished with 27 touchdown passes and seven interceptions last season. We know that he took better care of the football. And that since the start of the 27th 2017 season, excuse me, Carson Wentz ranks in the top 10 with 124 touchdown passes and 16 games with at least three touchdown passes, which is tied for ninth. Ron Rivera says, you have questions on Carson Wentz. I don't.
4: Hmm. I I do. I would not. Now, I have a world of respect for Joe Gibbs. He won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, but that was Joe Gibbs and that was in the 80s, early 90s. This is a different game now. And Carson Wentz, while the numbers are there, one thing about Joe Theismann or Doug Williams or Mark Rippon is that they were terrific leaders. And the biggest question about Carson Wentz is, can he be a good commander? Clearly, he wasn't in Indianapolis. And as it turns out, he wasn't in Philadelphia. I wonder if Rod Rivera can turn him into a commander.
5: I wonder if he can, too. And I also wonder if the other six names on the list whether it's through one channel or another, shared with with Washington that they weren't interested in going there. And that's mm-hmm. why they acted with this sense of urgency, because Carson Wentz was on the list, and they knew that they could potentially be shut out by everyone mm-hmm. if they didn't yeah. act quickly and go out and get him.
4: Yeah. And Michelle, we talk a lot about the drama of the NFL, the soap opera nature, and how they do come up with a story every day. Could there have been a wilder, nuttier, more unbelievable story than the franchise that has a 650,000 page sexual harassment report going and getting Deshaun Watson. <laughs> How would that have worked?
5: There's some commonalities there.
4: I would say that the optics would not have been great, though. No. you, you got to change your name again.
5: <laughs> no, not great optics. Not great optics.
4: It's four downs on 101 ESPN. Coming up, it's the fight.
3: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
8: Welcome to
3: the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener, and in the blue.
5: It's 838 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's time for the Friday edition of The Fight. Let's go to the phones and welcome in Kyle, who's going to be Mega Mine's competition this morning. What's up, Kyle? How are you doing?
8: I am fantastic, Michelle. How are you?
5: I'm doing great. I'm in a positivity cocoon this morning. Illinois plays tonight. It's all good.
8: That's a beautiful thing. We need to be positive. There's a whole lot of stuff going on that could bring you down. But if you don't stay positive, you may as well just put a gun in your mouth and pull the trigger.
5: Wow, Kyle, that took a really hard left. You know, you're talking about about being positive. I didn't expect that landing. I'm going to be honest.
8: (laughs) (laughs) I have to stay positive. Uh, You all posed a question on Uncle Randy a few weeks ago. And one of the... uh, sidebars came up about some ministers or some people that zone out doing certain uh activities and i was one of the ministers that zones out during uh, church services oh you're a minister kyle yes i am
5: oh my gosh so you're zoning out during your own homily
8: <laughs> uh actually i'm a baptist minister but okay yeah, there are instances during the services where i uh Go way off base.
5: I understand. Sometimes well, it's
8: hold- necessary.
5: <laughs> well, thank you for your honesty, Kyle, and I hope that we can at least keep your attention during the fight. Are you ready to go? I sure am. All right, question number one for Minister Kyle. Who is the last Cardinal to finish top three in rookie of the year voting? Is it Paul DeYoung, Aledmus Diaz, or Colton Wong?
8: Colton Wong.
6: Three men have won NCAA titles as both a player and a head coach. Joby Hall with Kentucky and Kentucky, Dean Smith with Kansas and UNC, and who else? Steve Alford, Billy Donovan, or Bobby Knight?
8: I don't think Bobby Knight ever played. I'm going to go with Billy Donovan.
5: Question number three, Kyle. On this day in 1995, Michael Jordan came out of retirement to return to the Bulls wearing number 45. What team did the Bulls lose to in the second round of the playoffs later that season? Was it the Charlotte Hornets, the Indiana Pacers, or the Orlando Magic?
8: Pacers.
6: And the last time the Packers drafted a wide receiver in the first round was 2002. Who was that wide receiver? donald driver robert ferguson or javon walker
8: has no idea let's go with donald driver
5: okay checking kyle's score waving in randy who's snacking in the hallway kyle how do you feel now that you've completed the fight
8: uh not great not great
5: the old mo well, not great Randy, please say good morning to Kyle, who is a minister, and admitted that he zones out during the service sometimes.
4: Kyle, thanks so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Do you uh, what what percentage of our show do you generally approve of when you listen?
8: <laughs> uh, usually the first couple of hours. That's usually the one that keeps my attention. Okay,
4: good. I just I don't we don't we don't want to cause problems here with the. Uh, because we we tend to be a little bit irreverent. Um,
8: <laughs> yeah, we have fun. Irreverence is, is my middle name. <laughs> oh, good, good. Good to hear.
5: Okay. Uh, Randy, are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Question number one for Megamind. Who is the last Cardinal to finish top three and Rookie of the Year voting?
4: Hmm. Last Cardinal to finish top three. Well... um. I can see all the Um,
5: the wheels turning.
4: Yeah, I'm just trying to think of uh, the guys that we have. We have not had a a stellar run of late, as it were. Um, So, let's see. You know
6: what? I'm going to go Paul DeYoung. All right. Three men have won NCAA titles as both a player and a head coach. Joby Hall with Kentucky and Kentucky. Dean Smith with Kansas and UNC. And who else? Player and coach champions. Joby Hall. Who was the second one? Dean Smith. I kind of
4: think that John Wooden might have won one at Purdue as a player. I'll do the lifeline just in case.
6: Steve Alford, Billy Donovan, or Bobby Knight? Ooh. Well, Bobby Knight, I don't think won one.
4: Uh, Alford didn't win a championship as a coach, and Billy Donovan played for Patino, right? So I'll go with Billy Donovan.
5: On this day in 1995, Michael Jordan came out of retirement to return to the Bulls wearing number 45. He did. What team did the Bulls lose to in the second round of the playoffs later that season?
4: Uh, Let's see. 1995, you would have had, well, okay, they lost to the Knicks in 94. And in 95, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go Pacers here, trying to think of who the 95 uh, champions were, and I'm having difficulty off the top of my head thinking of it, Um, because that was really before San Antonio got good. Houston had won the title. They won back-to-back titles. Who did they beat? They beat the Knicks in 94, when OJ was going through all of his stuff, and who did they beat that second time? Did they beat the? I don't think the Nets
6: were. Oh, um, Orlando Magic. And the last time the Packers drafted a wide receiver in the first round was 2002. Who was that wide receiver?
4: 2002 Green Bay Packers drafted. Uh, this would have been a guy that Aaron Rodgers played with. It wasn't Nelson. He was a second rounder. It wasn't Donald Driver. I th- think that I will go with again a roll of the dice here, Javon Walker.
5: Is it Kyle or is it Randy on this Friday? Who's victorious? Matt, let him know.
3: A winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker.
5: Just win, baby. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kyle. Randy beat you three to nothing. Mm. Ouch. It's okay, though. It's okay. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate your playing. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend, Kyle. Thank you.
4: You do the same. Take care. Kyle, thank you very much for listening and calling
8: in. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. I'm winning. Oh, man. Here we go. I'm
3: winning. Win, 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 win. do stop. Wow. All, all I do is win, 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 no matter
4: what. Oh, it's too hot. It's hot, hot, hot. Wow. It's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice.
5: Milk is always a bad choice.
4: Yeah, the machine was broke yesterday. I had to get it warmed up today. Yeah,
5: go ahead. Fire off
4: another one. Yeah, that's all I got have for some, you
5: have. That's all you have? Yeah, we can. I it's, know it's not.
4: It's, well, let's see. It kind of may be.
5: Okay. Paul DeYoung is the last Cardinal to finish top three in rookie of the Year voting. Oh! He finished second in 2017. Three men have won NCAA titles as both a player and a coach. Joby Hall, Kentucky and Kentucky, Dean Smith, Kansas and UNC, and Bobby Knight, who won at Ohio State in 1960, and of course, Indiana, 76, 81, 87. Michael Jordan came out of retirement to return to the Bulls wearing number 45 on this day in 1995. Later that season, the Bulls went on to lose to the Orlando Magic in the second round of the playoffs. And the last time the Packers drafted a wide receiver in the first round was 2002. And it was, in fact, Javon Walker, number 20 overall. Randy, with the victory on a Friday, three to nothing. Congratulations, Randy.
4: Thank you, Michelle. Coming up, the NHL trade deadline is Monday. Greg Wachinski of ESPN is going to join us to talk about that next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, great to have you with us. And the National Hockey League trading deadline is Monday, and we hope the Blues wind up doing something. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. ESPN's Greg Wyshynski, kind enough to join us here in St. Louis. Good morning, Greg. How are you doing?
0: Doing great, doing great. Very uh, excited for the next few days, see how things shake out. And then uh, Monday, being that you know we're a big, big, strong rights holder now, we're going to have <laughs> our own uh, trade deadline coverage starting at noon. So it's going to be a lot of fun.
4: That'll be great. And obviously there are still some big names out there. And boy, we, it seems like we've been talking about Jacob Chikrin since the start of the season. He's hurt <laughs> now. Do you still believe that, and he's a value guy for the next three or four years, do you think that he'll get moved?
0: I don't, and it's not because of the injury. I, I just feel like the Coyotes will do better to attempt to trade him in the off season. I think that there's a limited number of teams right now that would be willing to part with the amount of assets it would take to acquire him. And I've, I've talked to a couple of executives that have uh, been in talks with the Coyotes, and the price is astronomical. I mean, one said that it's beyond a... Uh, first-round pick and two-top-prospects type deal. Like They're really asking for the moon for this kid because he's young, he's under contract for the next few seasons, and he's one of the most desirable things in the NHL, which is a, a an offensive defenseman you can quarterback a power play and, and things of that nature. So um, I, I think they're probably better served waiting until the summer if they want to move him, um, just because you'll have more teams in the marketplace and, and a better chance of getting the return you're looking for. But there's also a school of thought that, you know, he could be part of the solution there instead of part of the problem. Uh, They have an incredible collection of draft picks right now that they can utilize this season and next. Uh, Maybe it's better to have him be a centerpiece of what they're building there than to move him. But bottom line is I'd be surprised at this point if he does move uh, by Monday's deadline.
5: Greg, with some constraints on the salary cap, a move to the level that fans would like for defensemen for the Blues might be a little complicated for Doug Armstrong. Who do you think are some realistic targets out there for the Blues?
0: Well, as far as the rentals go, I, I think that Mark Giordano makes a lot of sense as far as being a left-side defenseman, a veteran guy. I think that his skill set and his game sort of fit within what the, the Blues like to do um, systematically. So he's one option that I think should be out there and, and, and should be thoroughly explored. But there's obviously going to be a market for his services as a, a real good veteran and a real good character guy. I know that the Toronto Maple Leafs, for example, are one team that's been kind of after him. If you're buying high, I mean, Hampus Lindholm obviously is is the biggest name. I think that could be available for Monday from the Anaheim Ducks, but uh, that's going to be another interesting derby for his services. There'll be other teams involved, and the price tag for him, I think, starts at uh, a first, a third, and a prospect, from what wow. I've been hearing. So it's yeah, I mean, but he's great. There's <laughs> I mean, no doubt he'd make make them a better team. And then if you're looking for sort of a, a level down. One guy that I think is interesting is Nick Letty from the Detroit Red Wings. He you know, played a long time with the New York Islanders. He's been through playoff wars. He's kind of up there in age. But I think he's been an effective player for the Red Wings this season and, and could be a good sort of fallback position player if they don't get some of the bigger names they're chasing.
4: One of the smaller names, and he's emerging, is Jacob Middleton from San Jose. I haven't seen a ton of him. Greg, how would he fit with what the Blues do?
0: Well, he's an interesting one because I, I think he's one of those guys. Like, uh, there was a player named Nick Jensen a few years ago who I think fit this too, where he's a, a defenseman of a certain age that does some things really well that makes absolutely no money, <laughs> and and, and uh, is a. I think he's a, a, a free agent coming up this off season. So there's like a lot of reasons why teams are are sort of looking at this guy as far as being a cost effective ad. I, I When you look into his numbers, I tend to believe that he might be a byproduct of, of some of the defensemen he's played with in San Jose. In particular, is spending a lot of time with Eric Carlson when he was healthy, who's going to make a lot of players look better than they are. Um, but if you were to acquire him, I don't think you'd be doing yourself a disservice. I just think that he some of his underlying numbers that are getting trumped up right now by people that uh, look at that cap uh, hit, um, may be the byproduct of him playing with some pretty good players in San Jose.
5: Greg, who are some teams out there that might be more active during the deadline than we expect them to be?
0: <laughs> I mean, we expect everybody that's got a chance in <laughs> the playoffs to be active at this point. But, uh, you know, I, I, there's a couple teams that have been suspiciously quiet. Uh, Nashville being one, David Foyle has never met a uh, trade he couldn't make. And, and I find it interesting that there's been so much talk about whether or not they're going to keep Philip Forsberg and not a lot of talk about what they might add to a team that I think is, has played above expectations. Um, the L.A. Kings are another one. The Kings are, are a playoff team. I mean, I, I'd be surprised at this point if they don't make the cut in the Pacific Division. They have this incredible collection of prospects that they've built there. Um, they have a, a number of veteran players who uh, you know, have played – really well this season and getting them into a playoff position. And they're a team that could maybe make a little n- noise in, in the in the postseason if they uh, added, added a, a body or two at the deadline. So those are two teams I kind of have my eye on. And, and then over in the East, I mean, look, it's uh, <laughs> someone's going to have to answer for what the Florida Panthers are doing. I mean, Ben Chirac goes there most likely, unless he goes to Colorado, quote, quote, is going there as well. So, I mean, everybody else in the field in the East is going to have to be looking at ways to bolster their own lineups. Uh, to compete with what the what the Panthers are doing right now.
4: Greg, I, I want to pass this along to you because Jamie Rivers, former Blue, who does our afternoon show, brought this up yesterday on our air, the possibility of the Blues moving Binnington, and he suggested that Toronto might be interested in Binnington. I don't know how the, the numbers would work, but what would you, let me put it this way, how would you react if you saw it come across your phone that the Blues had moved Jordan Binnington?
0: It wouldn't shock me only because, you know, conditions have changed. I mean, and I don't think any of us came into this season thinking that Billy Huso was going to have the year that he had. Um, they clearly like him. He's even younger than Bennington uh, as far as maybe a goalie that they like going forward. It reminds me, actually, of when Bennington came up and had that amazing run. They, they actually thought Huso would end up being the better goalie when both those guys were in the system. Then Bennington became Bennington. Um, I don't know with that contract how portable he is. And he also obviously has trade protection, so he could block a trade mm-hmm. to Toronto, which is the real key. Um, but I think, you know, the, the bottom line is that the better Husso plays and the more starts he gets and the more responsibility he's expected to get when the playoffs come around, the more likely it is there might have to be uh, a divorce at some point between Jordan Bennington and the Blues.
4: Greg, we great work as always, and we'll be tuned in. Looking forward to the trade deadline show on ESPN on Monday. So
0: are we. <laughs> it's be a lot of fun. And, uh, and I, I hope everybody does check it out. ESPN Plus to start, and then we uh, hit, uh, hop on to ESPN 2 uh, in, in the afternoon as we get closer to the 3 o'clock deadline.
4: We'll do it. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. Thank you. See you later. Greg Wyshynski, ESPN on 101 ESPN. Next up, Ian O'Connor has a new book out about Mike Krzyzewski. And we're going to talk to the uh, longtime writer for the New York Post and more outlets next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money.
4: Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Ian O'Connor is one of the greatest and most prolific writers of our time. Michelle, I've read several of his books. He wrote a book about Bill Belichick that was spectacular. Another one about Derek Jeter that was wonderful. And Ian has a new book out, and this one is about Mike Krzyzewski. It's called Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. And Ian O'Connor, who wrote the book, joins us now on the Brown and Croupin Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Ian, thanks so much for the time, and congratulations on the book. Looking forward to reading it.
2: Uh, good morning, Randy and Michelle. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, good to be here. Well,
4: let's start with this because it seems like because Coach Krzyzewski has been around such a long time and he's been visible on TV, he has a radio show, it seems like we know everything about Mike Krzyzewski. So as you got going on this book, how surprised were you about some of the things that you didn't know that Mike Krzyzewski had been involved with or done during the course of his career?
2: Well, one thing I found out, this actually was uh, a number of years ago, 1999 to be in fact, is he's the most, I've been doing this for 36, 37 years. He's the most profane coach I've ever been around. Wow. It, yeah, a lot of people have no idea about that. But when you sit near his bench, like I did, I sat right behind him at the Sweet 16 in New Jersey in 99. And for two hours and 15 minutes, it was nonstop <laughs> extreme profanity directed at the refs, his players, even an assistant coach, Quinn Snyder. Uh, so yeah, that, that surprised me back in the day, as far as the research for the book and talking to uh, 275 people, one thing that stood out was, and this was to a man, many of his players said his image and the program's image, as far as Duke perceived to be a program that does it the right way is not nearly as important to him as, as winning and that, yeah, it's nice to have that as, as a side thing, but Every day he wakes up, all he cares about is finding a way to beat you, whoever you are, that day, to to go to bed that night knowing he finished ahead of you. And I guess that's why he has nearly 1,200 victories. (laughs) But that, that surprised me a bit that every player I talked to said that that is not nearly as important to him, the image, as just beating you.
5: Ian, you've written some books on people who are singularly great at what they do. What is it about Mike Krzyzewski that allowed him to be so great at what he did and have such sustained success at Duke?
2: Yeah, he's the greatest adapter of all time. I mean, just adapting to everything in college basketball, including the one and done era later in his career, and and I think I I do think he's the greatest college basketball coach of all time. I would put him slightly ahead of John Wooden, despite the fact that Wooden won 10 national titles to Krzyzewski's five, because Mike did it at a time. It was just much more difficult to dominate, much more parity in college basketball, and and then the one-and-done era on top of it. Plus, Mike has 530 more victories than Wooden had. So I think durability matters there. But you mentioned Belichick earlier, Randy, I believe, and I know mm-hmm. he's not the most popular figure in St. Louis, certainly. Uh, <laughs> uh, we could talk about that another another day, I guess. But Belichick and Krzyzewski, just their attention to detail and preparation as far as motivating their teams is, is off the charts. But the difference is Belichick never really used emotion in, in in terms of motivating his players. And maybe it's because they're grown-up men as opposed to college student-athletes, but Krzyzewski uses a lot of emotion. He still has a fair amount of Bobby Knight inside of him to inspire and connect with and motivate his players. That that's what separates him from Belichick.
4: Ian O'Connor, who has written the book "Coach K: The Rise and Reign of Mike Shishovsky," joining us on one on one ESPN. And you mentioned Bobby Knight there. And one of the parts of the book is the fracture in their relationship. What was, from what you were able to glean, Ian? What was the linchpin for the fracture in the Bobby Knight Mike Shishovsky relationship?
2: Well, yeah, you asked me uh, earlier about uh, a surprising thing in terms of my research, and I guess I was surprised that the relationship ended. I did not know that. I, I knew it was strained, but it ended at Pinehurst in 2015 in North Carolina. There was a reunion of Knight's 50th or the 50th anniversary of his first Army team, and at that reunion, Mike approached Knight's table, and Knight completely ignored him. And there had been a lot of ups and downs in their relationship—more downs than ups. A lot of slights that Mike felt and overcame just to try to keep the relationship together. And it seemed like over the years he was doing 85 to 90 percent of the work in maintaining the relationship. And he had had enough. He stormed out of the room and some of his former West Point teammates went out the room with him. And he said to them, this is the last bleeping time I'm ever going to try with this guy. I am done. And I mean it this time. And and he meant it. My reporting shows that's the last time they ever spoke, and that was seven years ago. Wow. It's sad, but true. And I think it boils down to that the mentor was surpassed by the protege, and, and Mike broke his records and won more national championships. And I don't think Nike could deal with that. And, and that ultimately led to the unraveling of the relationship.
4: And I also would like to know, because uh, I've read stories in the past about his relationships with other coaches, and specifically when uh, Jim Valvano was dying.
2: Yeah, they be, they were not friends. They did not like each other for much of their careers. They coached in New York against each other. Valvano was at Iona, and, and Mike, of course, was at Army. And they just had different styles. Valvano, of course, he could have been a stand-up comic. He was so gregarious, and Krzyzewski was a West Point guy. And so when they end up in uh, in the ACC, Valvano went to national title in 83, and Mike's losing to Wagner at home. <laughs> And he and the boosters and, and and alums wanted him fired. Mike should have been fired. In today's environment, he would have been gone. He never would have been able to establish the career he did at Duke. and And so he somehow survived that. but as uh, as, as Valvano stopped coaching, got into broadcasting, they became friendlier. And then of course, in his dying days, he was at Duke at the medical center and Mike would go there every day and visit him. And he spent more time with him than any non-family member. I believe he was the last non-family member to see him alive. And so they, they became almost like brothers in the end. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a very tragic tale. And, and Valvano was such a talented human being beyond just coaching. But, yeah, Mike was there for him, and, and they became close after they were done trying to beat each other all the time in the ACC.
5: Ian, when we think of Mike Shushevsky Krzy- and Duke, we're going to think about the success. But whether it was with Duke or Team USA, any component of his coaching career, what's a challenge that Coach K faced behind the scenes that we might not have known about?
2: Well, Michelle, I think uh, coaching the the NBA megastars in the Olympics now, he is a guy who can get in your face when he's coaching the college players and and scream some really tough and degrading things. Well, he couldn't do that to LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. They just (laughs) never would have bought into that. So he had to change, and he had to become more player-friendly, and he had a tense relationship with LeBron James. They lost together in 2006 at the World Championships in Tokyo, and and so in 2008 in Beijing at the, their first Olympic Games, it took Coach K a while before he can win over LeBron's trust. And I have some scenes in the book where there's tension in that relationship in meetings and practices, and you could see it. And finally he did win him over. And, and Kobe Bryant was an easier uh, player to win over because Kobe wanted him to coach the Lakers back in 2004. And if Kobe had gone to college out of high school, of course he didn't, he would have played at Duke. So so that that relationship with, with LeBron James was something that uh, he really had to work on. And then when he got back to Duke, after that experience with the NBA players overseas, he wanted to dive headfirst into the one-and-done era of college basketball. He wanted to coach the very best players. So all of a sudden, you see him recruit John Wall. He lost him to Kentucky. Then he gets Kyrie Irving and the one-and-done players who won him the national title in 2015. So, again, he's a guy who evolved and changed in ways that Bobby Knight never did, and that's why he surpassed them.
4: The name of the book is Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski by Ian O'Connor, and you can get the book anywhere books are sold. It's right there on Amazon. Ian, the the book garnered headlines a couple of weeks ago in the week leading up to Coach K's final home game with the, the fact that he made that phone call to Tommy Amaker about the head coaching job at Duke, and the speculation that he still wants to be involved in running the program. Can you guys give us kind of a a capsule of that, of uh, the sense that you get about him still wanting to be involved?
2: Well, he says now that he doesn't. Uh, He's keeping his office on the sixth floor at at, uh, Duke, and he got very involved in the succession plan and process, so he certainly imposed his will on that, and he wanted John Shire, his assistant, his young assistant, to be the head coach. And the university offered the job to Tommy Amaker, a man in his mid-50s, now the head coach at Harvard, who had been at Seton Hall in Michigan before that. So uh, Coach K, that was the first time he ever competed against Duke. And guess what? Coach K won. (laughs) He he wanted John Shire to get the job, and he had that phone call with Amaker, explained why it wasn't in the best interest of the Duke program for him to be the head coach. And Amaker could have told him to take a hike and take him the job, but he didn't. He decided he had a great life at Harvard, and And it would be an uncomfortable existence in Durham if he took the job under those circumstances. So Shire got the job, and right out of the gate, he signed the number one recruiting class in America. So it's hard to argue with that.
4: And finally, Ian, it is remarkable when you look at what's transpired on the basketball landscape over the last couple of years, specifically there in the ACC with the retirement of Coach K and Roy Williams – and you are writing about it here with his retirement, we're seeing the end of an era of college basketball, aren't
2: we? Oh, yes, and and I think maybe even if you could just, stretch it out to higher education. I think in in the history of American colleges and universities, I don't think one school ever paid more money to a single employee in this country than Duke paid Mike Shushesky over 42 years. And so I, I don't think we'll ever see something quite like that again. There's just an awful lot of change in college sports. Is it possible Uh, That somebody would would stay 30 plus years at a school? Yeah, I guess so. But I don't know if that person is going to win five national championships and go to 12 final fours and win 1,200 games. So it's a staggering, iconic career, which is why I wanted to do the book in the first place. And yeah, I don't think we'll we'll see another Mike Shishovsky anytime soon.
4: Well, whenever you do write a book, it's guaranteed great reading. We appreciate you taking some time. Congratulations on the book, Ian, and we'll be checking it out. And we advise everybody that's tuned in to do so
2: as well. Well, thanks so much, Randy and Michelle. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ian.
4: Ian O'Connor. The name of the book is Coach K: The Rise and Reign of Mike Shishovsky. And I thought it was interesting, Michelle, that he brought up the fact that. Krzyzewski, if he had those first few years now, he would have been fired. Mm-hmm. And I got the sense in listening, when we had Travis Ford on a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about how, the, basically the same thing, how they were patient with him. I think it's so important for schools to have continuity and be patient. Now, they're never going to be again. If you don't win in three years, you're out. Yeah. But if you give a coach a chance to build a program and not just have a a really good team in the third year. I think that's the way to go in college sports.
5: I, you're right after year three if you're not winning at a certain clip you're out and half the time those those coaches don't even have a team filled with their own players yet mm-hmm. it's unbelievable the demands that are put on them to turn around programs that are usually in pretty bad situations that they inherit and do it quickly.
4: That's Michelle, I'm Randy and this is 101 ESPN thanks to Ian O'Connor for joining us coming up Joe Vitale as the Blues get ready for a weekend of action Joey V next on 101 ESPN
3: We're back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking Blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org.
4: Joe Vitale's former teams played last night at Enterprise Center. The Well, his current team is the Blues, of course. He's the broadcaster for the Blues, and the Pittsburgh Penguins are the team that drafted him and he came up with. And I'm guessing there were no mixed emotions at all last <laughs> night. But I'll bet you were happy to see a competitive game, though.
9: Hey Randy, good morning. You know, I was really excited to see a competitive game, and I think that especially in that third period, just uh, run-and-gun style hockey, right after that Barbashev goal, the Blues really came alive, and the Pittsburgh Penguins really came alive too, and both teams fought to the very end, overtime shootouts, it was exciting, uh, some of the best players in the world on the ice last night from a great sell-out crowd there for St. Patrick's Day, so not much more you can ask for except maybe one point at the end of the day.
5: Uh, Joe, we know that the Blues have had some difficulties in overtime this season. Why do you think that is?
9: You know, Michelle, I think it's the biggest thing that I noticed is you know the, the influx and the overturn of players this year as far as other players stepping up uh, that weren't stepping up over the last couple seasons here. You know, you look at newcomers in Brandon Sada and Pavel Butchnevich, uh, especially players like Jordan Kyrou, Robert Thomas. From a point production standpoint, these are the guys. This is this is kind of becoming their team. So at the beginning of the year, I think Craig Berube kind of did what he had to do and, and get these guys some cookies as far as playing them in overtime, a three-on-three situation, especially with their speed, because with three-on-three hockey, there's so much open ice where you're going to want fast guys like Jordan Cairo who can obviously be a production um, standout in those kind of situations. Now, the downside to that is, and I think where Craig Berube has uh, seen the, the growth that still needs to happen is with those young guys, you have to keep in mind, being defensively savvy is really important in overtimes. And that's where maybe now, where I think Craig Bruby is starting to kind of shift a little bit more to the veteran guys, because, you know, you look at last night's game with Perron playing, Teresinko, we saw O'Reilly a lot, Colton Pareko, and we didn't see much of Jordan Cairo. Obviously, Robert Thomas is out of the lineup because he's not feeling well. But some of the younger players that he has gone to earlier this season There have been some mistakes that he has seen from the defensive side of things, and now he's going to start to shift that. So it's going to be interesting to see, as this season continues more over time, if he continues to go with this veteran group, I think that that's where you're going to see maybe a little bit of
4: a difference in the outcome. Joey V, you mentioned St. Patrick's Day, and for people that... I actually did pay attention. There were like four or five days in my life where I paid attention in school, and I was aware of the fact that when Italians started arriving at Ellis Island in New York City, the... Irish, who had been an oppressed group before, they kind of took it out on the Italians. And so, yeah, the the Italians and Michelle's very Italian. I I just want to know, have you guys been able to put that past you and did you wear green yesterday?
5: Wow. (laughs) (laughs)
9: <laughs> yeah, nothing like salt in the wound. Yeah, you know, we, uh, we have moved past it, and I think that's what, uh, what's great about the Italian culture and the Irish culture, for that matter. You know, you don't hold on to grudges awful, you know, too awfully long. Yeah, this yeah. was 1880, yeah. so yeah. it was like 140 years ago. Italians yeah. known for
5: never holding <laughs> grudges, Joe. <laughs> oh
9: <No>, yeah, especially <laughs> Sicilians. You know, it's funny. It's funny about Sicilians. Sicilians get the worst rap of any probably uh, demographic, I would think, in Italy, and, and Michelle knows this. And like my nan, he was from um, Chinese, Sicily, and he was a very, very brash man, like just very tough, uh, tough to get along with. If he loved you, he loved you. But for the most part, he didn't like many people, just a hard worker. And he he was always kind of looking over his shoulder. And you think about why that is. You know, the the funny thing about Italy, especially the island of Sicily, which is kind of off the coast there, uh, it has been taken over by more countries than I think any any. Territory throughout the history of the world, so that kind of gives you an idea of of constantly you're over they were looking over their shoulders and someone's always trying to take their land. They're kind of right in the middle of this huge this huge continent, these oceans, all these countries are kind of mixed all around, so people are constantly taking them over. Uh, that's number one, and then the other thing, which is even cooler, I learned I learned about especially for the Sicilians is there in Sicily is it's a mountainous area, right? Mount Vesuvius is all all around there, and so they they look at it like there's not a lot of playing. So farming wasn't really an essential thing. So what do they do? They, they were they were she, they were shepherds. They were sheep herders, right? So they have sheep up in the mountains, and they would produce milk and cheese and all those kind of things like that. So at night. When the sheep are obviously, um, you know, and, and the shepherds are, are attending to their sheep, uh, all these Sicilians were, they had to constantly be sleeping with one eye open, like, like, like you hear from the movies The Godfather. But they really <laughs> did because of, of wolves and people around that were going to try to steal their sheep. So that's why whenever you meet a Sicilian, it makes sense that that, that, that is why they are the way they are because their country has been taken over more than probably any country in the entire world. And there are shepherds that at, at, at heart and they're constantly looking over their sheep because people are always trying to steal them and rob for them. But but I tell you what, uh, tomorrow's their day. I mean, it may have been St. Patrick's Day yesterday. I'm, Michelle, I'm sure you know this, but March 19th, St. Joseph's Day. It is the day that Italians absolutely love. It's a great day, especially now because it falls on a Saturday. Uh, go down to the hill here in St. Louis. They always put on some great festivities. Uh, they worship St. Joseph. Uh, you buy a loaf of bread. Go to Vitaly's Baker. Get yourself a nice loaf of sesame bread and celebrate the great St. Joseph, who is obviously the patron saint of all the Italians.
5: I love it, Joe. And I'm glad that you bring up Sicilians because I'm going to tie it to the Blues somehow. You know, we know that the Blues can play a punishing style of hockey. We know that Braden Shen is never afraid to throw down. David Perron will get in the mix. But I was watching this team play last night, and I was thinking they could have used some Sicilian energy, somebody (laughs) that has some brashness, and it's just naturally a tough guy. Do you agree with that?
9: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that this is a, a situation where the the culture has certainly changed a little bit. The game's changed a lot. Um, I still think that there is room in the game for players like it, and and I, and I do think I think that you know as you get closer and closer to playoffs, you need to find those players that. Um, I would say um, can get angry and get kind of agitated and get under the skin and certainly disturb and make the game more chaotic and bring players into the fight. But the game, the game is so crazy now where you have to walk that line where you have to push yourself to that edge, but you can't step over. Like uh, I would give you an example, Michelle, I actually don't want a Sicilian on my team because Mm -hmm. the Sicilians, (laughs) there's the edge and they're going to go right through that. edge. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's the problem. That's where you find yourself in the Pelly box, you know, and that's what is crazy about it. You know, it's funny. Also, the Italian stallion, you know, the horse, um, it's one of the only horse breeds. Maybe, maybe there's some horse people out there listening, but this is my dad toy. I believe about, ooh, 12% of everything my dad's ever said about Italians because generally it's false. But he did tell me this. <laughs> the Italian stallion, speaking of edges, I think any horse breed where you're riding the horse, if you're approaching a cliff, like overlooking like a lake or something, most breeds will stop. But I think the Italian stallion is the one of the only breeds that's like innate in them, where it actually will listen to uh, the person on their back and literally just take off right over that cliff into the into the lake. Yeah, hopefully, oh we got some smart, sm- smarter listeners out there. I don't know, but that's what my dad always told me. That's why he always finished everything with saying, "You see, that's why the Italians are the best."
5: Uh, Joey, I worked with a guy at ESPN who was Italian and told me he went to visit his family at their village in Italy and that he saw a horse jump off a cliff when he was a kid and it traumatized him forever.
9: I'm telling you, yep. I'm telling you some, something about it. I think that our, our ancestors were, were not wrong. Uh, a great movie. If you ever have a rainy day like today, you want to kill some time. You have to go back in time a little bit. But my big fat Greek wedding <laughs> is maybe a top 10 classic of all time. But the dad in the movie reminds me and I, it will remind everyone so much of their ancestors because the dad Claims that everything good like, came from Greece <laughs> yeah. and every word in the, in the English language comes from the Greek and Latin like root word. And that, that to me was my childhood. I mean, for example, he would say, "See, so he, he say Giuseppe, your name of Vitali. Now, Vitali means a life because of vital. And then the Vitalati, that does mean energy. So you got a life and energy. So there you go. That's <laughs> what he always say to
4: me. Hey, I want to go back to. A place that you mentioned, because I have been wont, at times in my life, to go to... cheesy chain italian restaurants that have a dish called mount vesuvius on the menu i'm guessing that when you go to a restaurant on the hill and i'm, I'm guessing joe vitale and michelle smallman they don't go to cheesy chain italian restaurants they, they want authenticism authenticism but what if i do get into a a restaurant and there's a mount vesuvius on the menu should i just avoid it is it is that too cheesy
9: it sounds, like a, it sounds like a tourist trap. I don't know how you feel about it, Michelle. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like a tourist trap. I think the best, the best call, if you want to go authentic, Randy, go, go to a good spot. Uh, generally, if you're not going to find it on Yelp, you know, if you go to a little Italy in New York or you're on the hill uh, here in St. Louis or wherever you are, wherever you're visiting, uh, avoid the Yelp and just go to an Italian area and just ask one of the grocery people or one, someone who looks Italian, you know, where would you go? And, of course, they're always going to say the same thing. My mama's house or my Nana's <laughs> house. You want the best meatballs to my Nana's house? Okay, well, what's the second choice? And they always give you their second choice. And then when you walk in there, like I do with all my favorite Italian restaurants, they say, what do you want? And I say, what do you recommend? They'll tell me. I say, perfect. Bring it out. I always get what they recommend, um, especially when you go to Italy. That's, that's the last thing. you n- never want to walk into a restaurant with the intent of this is what I want to order because uh, things are constantly changing there and, and different fruits and vegetables, whether it's flour that's popular, or artichokes, artichoke season now in Italy where all the artichokes are popping, just sit down and say whatever you recommend, just bring it out. Uh, here's 100 bucks, and just bring out as much food as you want and that's the way to go.
4: That's tremendous. Hey, it's always great to have you with us on the show. Thanks so much. Keep up the sensational work and we will talk to you soon. Have a good weekend. You guys have a great weekend as well. Happy St. Joseph's Day tomorrow. Absolutely. That is the great, the one, the only Joe Vitale. And he, he is, you talk about unique. He—he he is a, a, He's a one of one.
5: We need to start doing something that we post on social media on Fridays. We learned from Joey today. Yeah. Where we just list out the things we learned.
6: Oh, I'll start that today. Yeah. Let's do I, I that. I learned that Italian horses run off cliffs. Okay. There, there you I'm, go. I, I'm tempted to actually fact check that, but I'm not going to. And
5: we learned about the history of Sicily. Yeah. We learned about St. Joseph's Day, for those who didn't know. Mm-hmm. We uh, learned why you don't want a Sicilian on your hockey team.
6: Right.
4: And when you go into an Italian restaurant in Italy, you don't go in with the att- intent right. that you're going to order something. That's
5: right. These are all things we've learned. He's yeah. also
4: right, though. The, the history of the island of Sicily is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, the Wooloo's at Columbus tomorrow and at Washington <laughs> On Tuesday And tomorrow we've got a 3 o'clock pregame for you Here on 101 ESPN Alex Ferrario with that, Curbs and Joey with the call At 4 o'clock Coming up, you're killing me Smalls On 101 ESPN
3: We're right back to the character and Smallman Podcast Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers On 101 ESPN
4: And uh Matt mentioned that we have College basketball for you tonight 6 o'clock here on 101 ESPN Michelle we've got the Illini Against Tennessee Chattanooga
5: Let's go I'll be listening I'll allow. I and I
4: And we want to give away A $50 gift card to Ballpark Village I've forgotten our question I hope you remember Oh I, I, uh, I got it It's to celebrate the grand reopening Of the Budweiser Brew House The Budweiser Brew House Is St. Louis's iconic tap house And beer garden In the heart of Ballpark Village And returns today Enjoy an exciting new menu Over 100 beers on tap Special appearances by Cardinal alumni Fred Bird Live music and more Find a bonus chance to win a $50 gift card to BPV on the 101 mobile app or at 101espn.com. But we have an opportunity for you to win a $50 gift card right now. And all you have to do is have listened to the show.
5: We had Ian O'Connor on, who wrote a fabulous book about Mike Shashevsky, about the legacy and the reign of Mike Shashevsky at Duke, and we talked to him not only about his time at Duke, but about being the head coach of Team USA, and he shared with us that there's one NBA superstar that Coach K really had to win over during that time. Who was it?
4: And if you are texter number 101, 101 ESPN, ah. Texture 101, you get the $50 gift card. Just text in... Uh, the name of that NBA superstar that Coach K had to win over. Time for...
5: You're killing me, Small! Randy, today's a big day. Not just because Illinois plays. Not just because it's Friday. Gotta get down on a Friday. Mm -hmm. But it's one of our favorite guys' birthdays today. It's Danny Mac's birthday. Is it really? It's Danny Mac's birthday. The Cardinals... (laughs) Club horns for Danny... (laughs) Danny Mac will be calling the first spring training game of the season. The Cardinals tweeted out that it was his birthday. Adorbs that the Cardinals are tweeting yes. out. Happy Birthday for Danny Mac. But everybody head on over to at Danny Mac T V on Twitter and wish our favorite guy, a guy that used to sit with us here on Thursdays and Fridays and we miss a happy birthday. Yeah,
4: let's send him a text right now and see if he I'll, I'll do the text, you do the tweeting and we'll see if we can make it happen.
5: Okay, what should I say? Adorbs. Yes. HBD at Danny Mac T V. Everyone wish Dan a happy birthday.
8: Yeah. I think I'll that'd just, be great.
5: I'll just say, HBD, Danny Mac TV, we tried to call you to sing to you because that's what we did during the commercial break. We did. So we tried to call Dan down in spring training. We were going to sing to him live on radio. Well, Randy was going to sing to him I on live I will sing radio. to him
4: anyway, even though he may or may not be listening. You want me to try it?
5: I think he is not listening. He's probably getting ready for the game, which is why it's he didn't pick noon. up our it's phone a, call. A,
6: it, he's doing it from St. Louis. <laughs> so you have Stevie Wonder in you? Yeah,
5: but he's, yeah. he's you What's
6: know. Question? If you've got the Stevie Wonder version in you, I want to hear just that. The happy birthday? Yeah.
5: Go ahead, Yeah, Randy. he might
4: be getting focused. The game doesn't start for another two hours and 20 minutes. Or yeah,
5: whatever. but Dan's a professional. You know, first game of the se- It's the first game of the season. He's getting ready.
4: That's true. Uh, I will do happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> happy birthday, dear Danny. Happy birthday to you. There we go.
5: Happy birthday, Dan. Yep. You're killing me, smalls. A lot of upsets in college basketball last night, Randy. A lot of upsets. But uh, one game that wasn't was Indiana St. Mary's. Indiana fell to St. Mary's 82 53. It was an absolute blowout. But that's not what people are talking about from this game, Randy, because early in the second half, the ball actually bounced over the backboard and it got stuck under the shot clock. People were trying to get it out. They couldn't dislodge it. But don't worry, because some Hoosiers, in a positive way, not a negative way, some Hoosiers <laughs> cheerleaders came in. And and they saved the day.
3: We got Toss holding Pfeiffer. Kelly is not tall enough. <laughs> Major issues here in Portland. Why don't we get a new ball? Yeah. Why, why don't the cheerleaders, they're used to going up high. Let's get it. Yes, get the cheerleader up. Get her up there. This is how you do it. Give her the mob. Now she's got it. What a play! (laughs) What
5: an unbelievable call. And it was Nathan Paris and Cassidy Cerny. They were the ones that stepped in to get the ball. But take it or leave it, guys. Uh, A late take it or leave it. That play and that call will be in one shining moment.
6: I will take that. It has to be.
4: It was
5: so good.
4: Oh, You saw
6: the cameraman get the close-up of her. You're guaranteed that's in one shining moment. It deserves to be.
5: It was so good. But I just loved the call so much that I needed to play it.
6: That's very funny. I love it.
5: You're killing me, small. So we know, Randy, that the Cleveland Browns, they were looking past Baker Mayfield. They had their eyes set on Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun said, mm, not for me. Mm-hmm. Thanks for flying out here. Thanks for the offer. But Cleveland, mm, don't think so. Which brings up the question, what does that mean for Baker Mayfield? He knows that they don't want him. He knows that he's their second option. You don't want to be this anyone's second choice. No. Especially when you've been living in their stadium, right? I mean, you've been doing everything <laughs> for yeah. them, right? Well, Baker Mayfield let it let it be known yesterday that he wants out he wants a trade Adam Schefter tweeting that Baker Mayfield told ESPN it's in the mutual interest of both sides for us to move on the relationship is too far gone to mend it's in the best interest of both sides to move on what do you think about that Baker wanting out
4: I've been thinking about this a lot Michelle I think it might be the worst player in the history of sports to demand a trade
5: no, there's got to be someone worse than Baker to demand a trade. If
4: you're num- one of the other 31 t- teams. Are you giving up a number one draft choice for Baker Mayfield? I am not. No. He's he's just not that great. He's Okay, you're right. Uh, the worst players have demanded trades.
6: I was going to say, Col- Baker Mayfield or Colby Rasmus?
4: Well, Colby's dad actually demanded trades. That's true. It was trade. Colby's dad, Colby's you're right. Colby's dad. Uh,
5: but... Tony Rasmus, right?
4: Yeah, that's right.
5: I booked him on a show once. Nice guy.
4: He... Uh, the thing is, uh, let's just put it this way. Baker Mayfield's not good enough to be going around demanding trades.
5: But if you're a Baker, your ego's burned, okay? You're feeling it.
4: Well, usually you get an ego from being good.
5: True, but Baker's thinking uh, it was... Baker's all the- thinking
4: he's good and he's wrong. Yeah, he's
5: thinking it's all these other things around me. It was Odell who w- wasn't doing what he did in L.A. when he was in Cleveland. It's it's not me. It's the coaching staff. It's whomever. He's not thinking that it's him, Randy.
4: Baker Mayfield, as of next December, the percentage into the season will be Vladimir Tarasenko. He will still be playing for the Cleveland Browns. Oh,
5: and playing well and being yep. one of the team MVPs is what yep. you're telling me? Okay. Yep. Well, here's what Mike Tannenbaum, former NFL front office insider— our front of former NFL front office member, now ESPN insider, here's what he said he would do if he was in the Browns front office with the Baker situation.
9: I would look him right between the eyes and say, you know what, Baker, your job is to get better, lift weights, watch film. Me in the front office, my job is to improve this team. And Deshaun Watson's a better football player than you are. And if I'm not reaching out to him and his representative, I'm not doing my job. Now again, there's 22 civil lawsuits. It's still a complicated situation, but I would say, Baker, you can't be sensitive. You should be worrying about being the best version of yourself, we're gonna do what we can. And by the way, the verb we're gonna use, Baker, is we're gonna scour. We are always gonna look to improve every position, including yours, so why don't you worry about being the best version of yourself and we'll worry about running the team.
4: Well, two things come out of that. Number one, if Mike Tannenbaum would have done that more with the Jets, he wouldn't be a former NFL GM. Number two, do you look at somebody in their eyes or between their eyes? In. Did you hear what he said right at the beginning? Between the eyes. Yeah, can you play that again? First thing I'd do is look him right between the eyes. Nobody. Does I would it. look him right between the eyes. There you go. Hmm. Huh.
5: Yeah, I would look him I would, right, right, in right, the right into the eyes yeah. and into his brain, into his soul. Soul, yeah. Yeah, just really stare at him. Yeah.
4: But, but Tannenbaum's right.
5: Really, because here's a couple things here. If the Browns realize they're out on Deshaun and Baker may be a situation that they need to mend, I don't think telling Baker that he even though their actions indicated this, that he isn't a better quarterback than Deshaun is going to really make Baker feel great about the situation.
4: So do you just slide the statistics across the table?
5: Maybe. But I don't know if that's the correct approach. I also don't know if telling Baker to not be sensitive is the right approach because clearly he is. And clearly he thinks that he's been disrespected. If you really need to because I don't know if they want to mend the fence. Maybe they need to mend Mm -hmm. the fence because they don't have other options or they're in a precarious situation. I think you need to have more of a delicate approach, Uh, maybe a more contrite approach, Our bad, dude. We were scouring. We were just checking out all of the options. Uh, he, he's saying that he said no to us. We said no to him. We're all in on you. Don't listen to what the Schefters of the world say. Mm-hmm. we were just talking to him. We just wanted to see what the deal was. Uh, but we settled on you. We think, well, maybe not settle. We chose you. <laughs> we chose you, Baker.
4: And we could have taken Josh Allen.
5: That's right.
4: We took you over Josh Allen. That's we right. love you.
5: We love you, man. You're the face of our franchise.
4: Yeah, that's what you need. You need a quarterback that needs that sort of validation.
5: Don't they all, though?
4: Yeah, in some level.
5: Look at Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Don't they all?
4: You know what they could do is just put together one of those uh, Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. four squares. Mm. And you have Peyton Manning going to Denver and getting a bunch of control. And then Brady going to Tampa and getting a bunch of control. And then Aaron Rodgers asking to be moved, but getting a bunch of control. And then a uh, baker and you could have the one of these things is not like the other one of these things just doesn't belong can you guess which one is not like the other by the time i finish this song
5: wow that Thank was you. an amazing recall. Now, um, I would like for that to happen because I can't wait to see Baker's social post after that combo. Oh, right, yeah, be, That would be
4: fun. I'll sing it it's for him. you killing
5: me, small. Yeah, you should, Randy. And finally, speaking of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, we assumed Aaron Rodgers going back to Green Bay. That means Devontae Adams is definitely going to be back there. Ain't <laughs> eh, wrong. That is not what happened. Just days after Aaron Rodgers signed that contract extension to return to Green Bay, Devontae Adams is out. He's headed to the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are sending the Packers their first round pick, which is number 22 overall, and their second round pick, number 53, in this year's draft. That is giving Randy the Packers four picks in the top 60.
4: And they need to reload. They need a linebacker. They need offensive line help. They just cut Billy Turner, their right tackle. Obviously, you need to replace Devontae Adams. And they're a team that builds through. They're drafting develop, not just a draft, but they have guys that get better. And then in their second year, they wind up being good players for them. Rashawn Gary. Their first rounder from a few years ago had a terrific year as a pass rusher for them. And they've had some departures. And so in the long run, the Packers are a big picture organization, kind of like the Cardinals are. In the long run, this will be a deal that benefits them because they would have been way over the cap if they would have kept Devontae Adams. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up, we're going to tell you who the winner is of the $50 gift card from Ballpark Village and get you ready for the balloon party on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Congratulations to Craig. He's the winner of the NC or, or the uh, Ballpark Village gift card, BPV $50 gift card, because he knew that the player that Coach K had to win over was...
5: LeBron James.
6: <laughs> LeBron
4: James. <laughs> well done. Great Thank job, you. guys. Thank Thank so, uh, yeah, you want to head down to the uh, grand reopening of the Budweiser Brew House of Ballpark Village. And congratulations to Craig. And, oh, by the way, you can still get a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village. Just go to the 101 ESPN app or go to 101ESPN.com. And don't forget that the fellas today are going to be over at Max downtown, all 101 ESPN Broadcasting NCAA tournament action throughout the day with the midday show and the fast lane, food, the coldest beer, one-on-one giveaways, plenty of screens to watch, all the first round madness and more live today for the tourney at Max Downtown Alton leading up to Illinois and Tennessee, Chattanooga coming your way here on 101 ESPN at six o'clock. Michelle, yes. what's your current mental state regarding your fighting Illini?
5: Positivity cocoon. Okay. Now, talk to me at, it's 550 tip, 650 mm-hmm. Eastern. Talk to me at 5.30, 20 minutes before game time. That's when I start to get real nervous. Okay. Because that, that feeling when you lose, ugh, it's the worst.
4: I don't want to lose another Final Four team in the first round. I've already done that once.
5: Yeah, and you said that they would win. So I think you got your, you know, your curse, your uh, prediction that always ends up being the opposite out mm-hmm. of the way. So thank you for that.
4: Yeah. By the way. I'm
5: glad you didn't pick them to win.
6: Yeah. <laughs> Great. Randy can only <laughs> jinx one program this week. My question is: Is it the Illini or the Cardinals? You
5: are orange today, though, in in support, which I appreciate.
6: Yeah, I'm support. Well, Tennessee, Tennessee,
4: Tennessee.
6: Oh, yeah, that's right.
5: Oh, so, and it's not an Illinois shirt either. It's no. just an orange. Oh, i see I'm what sorry, you're doing uh,
6: Here, that that I think the shirt he chose it predates to later on in the tournament when the Tennessee Illinois matchup comes mm. up. And look at look at the mm. look at the bright shade of that mm. of that shirt, yeah. Michelle. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Michelle?
5: The march to a championship starts today. Yep. Positivity cocoon.
4: A couple of uh, texts or a couple of uh, responses. You had me place the picture of me kissing the Stanley Cup on May 1st, 2019 mm-hmm. on the socials. And it's I'm different. actually getting pretty positive reviews.
5: Well, yeah, Randy, they won the Stanley Cup. Exactly.
4: Kiss it every year if we can get the same outcome.
5: It's so different now that they've won. This was decades of heartbreak. In the most unreal fashion, year after year after year. And you know what? You don't kiss the cup. I mean, I guess you do, and it worked out. You're very lucky it worked out, Randy. You would be public enemy number one. Imagine this. Game seven, Mm -hmm. the Blues lose the Stanley Cup final. Mm -hmm. Then they look like they're going to reload, go for it again. Pandemic stops them in their tracks. Not a great bubble team. If we were sitting here today... On March 18th, 2022, and the Blues still had not won the Cup, everyone would blame you. That was a risk now, that you took.
4: Conversely, conversely, I was with the Cup in a studio in 01 and didn't touch it or kiss it mm-hmm. or even get my photo taken with it. If I would have then,
6: <laughs> we wouldn't have had this long wait.
4: <laughs> they would have beat Colorado in the conference finals and gone to the Stanley Cup and won it in 01.
5: But it had to be 2019. It had to be worst to first. It had to be Bruby as the coach who gave the (laughs) iconic speech before game seven. Uh, Layla. There were so many storylines that were unreal for that year. It had to be 2019. But all I'm saying, Randy, is you're lucky it worked out. It was a risk.
4: (sighs) But maybe we're unlucky that I didn't do it in twenty two thousand one. Maybe we, maybe we could have had one a lot earlier.
5: How about this? We called our buddy, Rob Manfred. We get a, a, of hold, a hold of the hunk of metal, otherwise known as the Commissioner's Trophy. Why don't we get yeah. a hold of that? You can Now, where would you kiss that? On one of the flags? On the base? Yeah, probably. It's yeah. different. The cup, you know, anywhere you go. By the way,
4: Major League players, I never want to see you smile again while your team is losing. Right. And I never want to see a pitcher practice his motion again. <laughs> if Rob Manfred can't practice his golf swing, pitchers can't practice their motions.
5: If you are going to stand for Rob Manfred... Who was smiling and laughing after they're announcing ri- that they're canceling games. I'm you talking, go right ahead. I'm
4: talking about ridiculousness.
5: You're right. It was ridiculous that Rob Manfred would laugh. But isn't it ridiculous? It was ridiculous. Pl- isn't
4: it ridiculous that players would laugh when their team is down 10 to 1? No. It's not? No, it's not. So what's the difference?
5: Camaraderie. Well, team chemistry. You don't think
4: Rob Manfred had to have camaraderie with Dan Halem and, and uh, Dick Monfort?
5: No. <laughs> because if here's the thing, Randy. If, tr-
4: it's a team that's trying to win. If, that's, that's the same thing. If
5: players are down in a game and they're laughing, we can look at them and say, you know what? They're going to get them the next game. Look, they're loose. They're loose. They're having a oh, good yeah, time. Yeah, they're going to okay. get the next time.
4: And he, Rob Bamford did. He, right? They're playing. You know what? Today, first game.
5: It was a risk. <laughs> it worked Someone's out for him just co- like <laughs> it worked out for you. I see why you're on his side. Great
4: job today by our producer, engineer, the one and only Matt Rocky. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Uh, Michelle, this has been wonderful. I L L. I and I. See and you I. guys Monday. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Enjoy the balloon party coming up until Monday morning at 7.
3: Have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget Online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Online, where the game starts.
0: Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1 to learn
3: more and start your free trial.